welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. That's what you get for not obeying your counselor. And here's what you get for telling evil stories and having such a filthy mouth. It is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic. As you say, I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Welcome everybody to the Retro Blood, and we are back, checked ourselves in to some more summer camp fun action. Up next, J.A. Allison, James Klein, we have got our medicals. Uh, we have uh, uh, Allison, a underpriv- underprivileged kid, me a rich kid. We are checking ourselves into the Camp New Horizons. If you all out there, if you all like tits, if you like... Uh, 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 lazy branch shots that can kill people instantly um, if you like uh, horny teenagers if you like our boy Snowball painting stuff uh, graffiti trees this is the movie for you what's happening Allison how do you feel at your uh, how do you feel at your stay at here at Camp New Horizon hey what's up man I have never been happier to be at Camp New Horizons I <laughs> this this movie was something else man this it started off hot and and uh, it stayed hot through the whole thing. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is uh, this was this is a pretty crazy week. So I think everybody's going to enjoy this. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah. It is good to be here, even though I'm an underprivileged kid, and you're and you're a rich kid, and yes. you're going to pick on me probably. But uh, that's fine. I, I know how to deal with bullies throughout this show. So yes. we'll see what happens. Yes. So um, there's a couple things about this movie we're going to get to, into, which is very fun. <laughs> And I like how the uh, the camp uh, uh, New Horizon is very similar to Rolling Rolling Hills. So we'll, we'll get into all that. Um, but there, I think at first I kind of want to do like a little like disclaimer for this movie. So you know this happens a lot with '80s movies, and we we've talked about this before. Me and Allison have in some of our other episodes. You know, back in the '80s, they didn't give a fuck. You know, they'd say they would say whatever, they would do whatever. You know that. Unlike nowadays where, you know, when you format a movie, you probably have to be a little bit more like politically correct on some certain things. Now, this movie is not the craziest movie that we watch with language. Uh, I think that, that I think Allison's birthday took that cake uh, back in the archives. <laughs> uh, or no, no, it was the uh, it was the, the, the butcher baker nightmare maker. That was the craziest one when it comes to yeah. languages that we did in archives. Uh, yeah. But this one's going to have a little bit of that uh, 80s language to it. <laughs> so everybody uh you know be prepared uh but you know i actually thought this movie was really fun like this movie had like what you, what i like in the 80s movies you know we got a bunch of teenagers just wrecking havoc we got tits everywhere brother we got fucking horny people we got blood and stuff you know unlike our boy over here they asked him what what, what was his favorite movie and he was like i like the ones with tits and blood so <laughs> we definitely got some tits and blood in this movie so very fun. And actually, um, you know, this one, to me, uh, before we get into the history segment and everything, 
This one to me was basically, okay, we established Angela. She's back, everybody. She's back. Okay. And she is basically the, the she's like the Freddy. She is like the, the Jason. She's like the Michael Myers. You can, you can do stuff to her and stuff, but she always comes back. You know what I mean? We have established that now she yeah. has come back. And apparently she's very good at, at, at disguising herself as well, too. So, and it, her mission in this whole movie was just to kill these fucking campers. And to be honest with you, man, she made it look easy. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's an unstoppable killing machine at this point. I mean, she is Jason Voorhees now. Yes. But let's get into the... Uh, we have a lot to talk about, everybody, on this episode. There's a lot, lot, lot to talk about, especially on the history segments, because I found some doozies on here for the history segment. So, you know, we have the history segment. We always talk about the release date of the movie, which this release date was August 13th, 1989. So we are back in one of my favorite periods of the 80s. I know it's towards the end of the 80s, but there's always a whole lot of stuff going on around 1989, 1988 and stuff. Um, and this this is, no, uh, is, is going to be a lot, lot of stuff to talk about during this particular era too. So what do you think, Allison? Should we do the pro wrestling first or do we should do some metal? Oh, man. Um, let's do metal if you have some. Okay. Now, do you have any metal? 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 <laughs> do you have any metal or no? I have two small things. Okay. So I got Actually, something. Three small things. I got something big, um, and it's very interesting. Um, you might know a little bit more about this than I do, but apparently on this date, August 13th, 1989, in Moscow, we had the Moscow Music Peace Festival. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, because this happened, you know, in the Soviet Union on the 12th and the 13th of August 1989. And this was to promote world peace and establish international co cooperation in fighting the drug war in Russia. So it was part of an era of a, a change in the Soviet Union. And we had uh, a couple big bands playing. Uh, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, and the Scorpions just to name a couple uh, on this yeah. on this venue but the the backstory of it's kind of very it's kind of pretty interesting um so like this concert it was put together by the make a difference foundation its founder rocks rock producer and manager doc mcgee um and and others major players in the soviet union and the united states all put this festival together so, mm -hmm. so, so basically, some of the stuff I was reading is like it's often stated that McGee agreed to bring his artists to Moscow after becoming involved in a drug scandal himself and wishing to avoid jail sentence, but he denied that in 2011. He said, "We always wanted to go over to Moscow and do the first rock show in the Soviet Union. I wanted to do their Woodstock. So it has been part of that plan that the proceeds would go to make a difference, and doctors would be brought to the USSR to teach." Uh, methods of treating addiction. So Soviet doctors at the time primarily used electric electric shock therapy for that person for that purpose. So you know they didn't really treat like drug addictions and stuff like we did. They just fucking shocked their ass back during that time. Apparently, <laughs> that's what it read like to me. <laughs> right, that's what that sounds like. Yeah, that would be um, like what uh, what our girl Angela got, but it didn't work. But it didn't work yes. exactly. So he did not expect the same sentence judge would have denied him the opportunity. So <clears throat> so this is what Motley Crue 
Um, they were on the tour too. Molly Crew has been on record stating they were upset with McGee at this point in time. They felt McGee was favoriting Bon Jovi, who he also managed, and who Crew uh, disdained. So apparently there's some beef between Motley Crue and Bon Jovi. Did you know about that? I, I know about some drama from this tour. Um, Motley Crue were kind of a problem. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know the, the actual details between the problem with, with Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. Uh, bon Jovi was one of the biggest bands in the world at this point. I mean, they were selling out football stadiums. Um, but I know that there's a there's a thing with um, Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne um, because um, Motley Crue was more popular in America than Ozzy Osbourne, but the Soviets only uh, didn't really know who they were, and they they knew, but they knew Ozzy Osbourne because he was like a classic singer. So they had M- Motley Crue play before Ozzy, and that pissed them off. But when they played it on pay per view. Um, in the United States, they switched them so that Ozzy played before Motley Crue, or it appeared that he played before Motley Crue. Um, that's the only thing I know about Motley Crue, but apparently they had an issue with Bon Jovi as well. So um, here is kind of how they got heat with each other. <laughs> this one's kind of funny. So apparently when Bon Jovi closed the show, they used pyrotechnics, which Motley Crue had been told they could not do. So McGee claims it was a malfunction on one side of the stadium that he did not hear because he was backstage. So Sebastian Batch of Skid Row, who McGee also managed, says Tommy Lee went over to him and said, your manager's a fucking asshole. And chugged most of a bottle of vodka uh, Batch had been drinking. Up to this point, Lee has said it was the first time that the band done a show sober. Then he ran, then he ran up to McGee punched him in the face and told him he could go manage the chipmunks because he was no longer Motley Crue's manager. Bon Jovi fired him as well shortly afterwards. So our boy McGee, wow. he's just getting fired everywhere. Lee and his bandmates were still so angry they refused to fly home on the same plane as McGee. So that's some of the drama going on in this peace festival during this time. I like it too, like where they're like these motherfuckers had pi that's like that's like uh, it's that's like, you know, <laughs> to bring it back to like wrestling terms nowadays, that'd be like Seth Rollins getting pissed off at Cody Rhodes. It's like this motherfucker has more pyro than me. Like, he well, gives a shit about yeah. the pyro. But the thing, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I guess it makes sense in a way. But I mean, Molly Crew played during the daytime. I mean, how how good is pyro going to look in the daytime? Yeah, well, you know, anyway, brother, it's all and, about it's all about the perception, boy. It's all about the. I gimmick. guess so. It's all about the. It's all about the gimmick, but but then his excuse was that it was a malfunction. So like you could tell, like he just made that up on the fly to try to not get punched in the face because it's like yeah, pretty much like so like he his story is that they they brought all this pyro to Russia and set it up in the stadium, but they weren't going to use it. Yeah, but it there was a malfunction and it went off. Like I mean, so, come on. The only thing I could see by being pissed off, if you paid yourself to bring on this pyro, you know, to to Russia, and you wanted it part of your set, and then it didn't go off when you planned for it to go off, and then you could see later on in the night that it's going off for Ben Jovi, then yeah, I'd probably be a little pissed myself. If if that's what I led to believe would happen, if if that's what actually happened, yeah. Yes. Um, I don't even know why. When we look back, I don't even know why they brought Motley Crue because it's not like they were a draw. I mean, nobody in the Soviet Union knew who they were. 
I mean, you know, they could, they, they were big. Just, they were big you know. during this time, though. I think. We, I think. It, I think the thing was because they were on the same label, has like Bon Jovi well, and stuff. Yeah, and Monday well, Bench. they were. Yeah, they were managed by Doc McGee. So yeah, he managed all of these bands uh, at the at the time. Um, well, check out the lineup here. Here's the lineup. So we have yeah, Cinderella. We'll Cinderella is the opening. I never heard well, this band before. Well, oh, hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh. Have you ever heard of Gorky Park? Yeah, I was about to mention that. That's why we were stamming over each other. I thought Gorky Park opened the show. Oh, they might have opened the show, yeah. I mean, they probably did. Yeah. I'm just reading it in the order that I, that I have on my list. Because they're a Russian band. So they were a Russian band that was discovered because of this festival. Um, or, well, right before this festival. So I think that somehow Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, signed, got them signed to, to his record label. And then they were managed by Doc McGee, and they opened the show. So they're like a Russian uh, kind of hair metal band that opened the show. And then Cinderella played it right after them. I've watched this entire show before. I used to have it on VHS. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah. Because I know it has the Scorpions on there, which I had to be a pretty good show. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Scorpions Skid, were popular in Russia. Skid Row. Yeah, Skid Row's great. And then, of course, Ozzy Osbourne and then Bon Jovi were probably like the two big... Um, the big headliners for that particular show. Um, but yeah, they um, that show took place in the Olympic Stadium. Um, I think it was the 1984 Olympic Stadium, um, the ones that the United States was banned from going to. Um, the Soviets wouldn't let us go uh, to the to the Olympics that year, so nobody had ever seen it. So this was the first like the time Americans ever really got to see the Olympic Stadium, and and Bon Jovi headlined in a in that stadium and he 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 comments about it during the show like he talks about how the olympic uh they light the olympic torch i think and then like he talks about how like they wouldn't let us come see this and now we're here and blah 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 but it's i mean it's a good show it's a very good show especially for its time yeah and it was very groundbreaking because american bands didn't or any bands didn't play in the united in the soviet union at all um i think the i think the scorpions had been there before um, but that was that none of those bands had ever gone to the so it's not like it is now, like where you could, you know, even if you know your countries don't get along, you can money is enough to to bring them in to you know to bring music and entertainment in, but like they just weren't allowed in there, like they just no, no American act had ever played uh Russia until the 80s, I don't think, and then a few artists that got in, but this was like the first, like, huge, huge. America, current American act that that played there, I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely something. <clears throat> but let's talk about a little bit more about the drama. That's what everybody's oh, came yeah. here okay. for. Let's talk about here. the drama. Everybody yeah. comes here for the heat. They all want the heat, brother. So noted in books such as "Bang Your Head," "The Rise and Fall of Heavy Metal," the concert also showcased the ego clashes, which eventually helped lead to the collapse of glam metal. Shortly afterwards, that's what they stated. Mm-hmm. Many of the bands argued over who went on before whom. Oh yeah, it's all about the. Uh, it's all about the. It's kind of that's that kind of reminds me of like wrestling cards. You know what I mean? Like you don't yep. want you want it's either you be first or last. It's like the two hot spots. Why and bands is kind of different. So bands pretty much want to go on later in the show because more people come in. You know, unlike wrestling, where somebody it does you gotta have a hot opener and a hot closer. So and then many were envious of Bon Jovi who not only headlined the event, but also had a much more theoretical stage spectacular and, and longer set times. 
So each band was yeah. supposed to do a stripped down show with just music and not uh, no no like special themes to it, like no big set, no big um, special theme set. So John bon, John Bon Jovi supposedly offered his headlining spot to Ozzy Osbourne after Ozzy threatened to to not to not go through with his set. Ozzy's set was initially scheduled before Motley Crue's set. Apparently, Ozzy felt his band was bigger and he should go on after Motley Crue. To solve the problem, Motley Crue went over to Ozzy, but the tape was edited so it appeared Ozzy went on before Motley Crue to the viewers back in the U.S. Those involved in the show, those those involved in the show's production felt this was an uh, egotistical brush move on Ozzy's behalf since this was supposed to be for charity and left many in the rock and roll community confused since Ozzy and Motley Crue toured together for Ozzy's Back at the Moon and Motley Crue's Shout Out the Devil albums, respectively, and became fast friends during the tour. So we got a little, got, got a little heat of who's going on first, brother. Yeah, yeah, so that was, that was what I was talking about before. So they were talking about how like they nobody wanted to open for anybody else. So they got all these big headlining bands. But nobody wanted to go on before anybody else. But yeah, you're right. It's a lot like a wrestling card because, you know, what I mean, you you could say that you might want to be in the opener, but really everybody wants to be in the main event because that's what gets you paid, right? You get the most most pay from being in the main event. Um, so everybody wanted to headline, but it's just weird to me that they wouldn't set this up in contracts ahead of time, and yeah. they would either accept it or not. You know, it's not like they got <clears> on a plane <throat> and said. Um, you know, well, we'll just figure it out when we get there. Um, you know, it's like, especially today, like if you were going to do something like that, your set time would be contracted and you'd be like, you're going to go on from this time to this time. And then you're going to sign a contract where you to say that you'll do that. It's, it's really odd that they would even have this kind of drama and, and it, and it, and it be an issue. Cause you could just, you know, you could just, you know, show Motley Crue that they have a, that they're contracted to play at this time, and yeah. they're either going to play or they're not going to play. So the one one part on here, which is definitely something that it's very interesting. So you know, this was supposed to be a peace festival to help out, like you know, drug issues and yeah. I mean, look at the bands you have on tour here. Okay, <laughs> yeah, fucking Motley Crue. You know, fucking Cinderella. I mean, these guys were drinking and doing drugs like probably every night. Well, well, kind of. Ozzy. But you got to understand too. Mm-hmm. At around this time, that was like when Ozzy and Motley Crue were all getting sober. So well, it does bit. make sense. It does make sense. So like this was the this was like after Motley Crue all went to rehab, and this is like one of the first shows they played when they weren't like under the influence. And Ozzy had also um, attempted to to get sober like this is one of the i think he'd already been to rehab a couple of times and i think he was still drinking during this time but he was trying to get sober during this time so it does make sense kind of and then you know bon jovi is just like a pretty clean cut they have kind of a pretty clean cut image i think for the most part yeah the other big thing about this show too was from the scorpions um they inspired the song wind of change by the scorpions and apparently that was a, a big soundtrack to when the collapse of the Berlin Wall happened at the end of the Soviet Union. It was a really big song that people were yeah. playing. So, Because that was about to happen, right? The Soviet Union would basically collapse the next year, I think. Yeah. Um, and this was like one of the... What I remember about this was like... It was like... Um, like when Mikhail Gorbachev became like the prime minister... Or not the prime minister, but whatever they called him of... Uh, 
the Soviet Union, he they started that program that they called Glasnost, which which I think means uh, openness, and they tried to be more open to the West. Um, and this was one of the things that they wanted to do was have this big concert there so that, you know, they could show the West that, okay, we're, you know, we're different now. And, you know, maybe, maybe there can be some kind of like, you know, peace between these two warring nations, I guess you could say. Um, so that's what I remember about it was like, it was this big, it was a big deal at the time because the Soviet Union was a very scary thing for, for kids my age, because, like we were just taught that they were just going to nuclear bomb us at any time. And then any day it could be the end. Um, so it was kind of a big, big deal that, you know, there was less tension in the world and stuff like this was starting to happen. Yeah. So it, the, the festival was definitely a huge, you know, when, when it comes to that, you know, obviously, you know, anytime you do like a festival or doing like these big matches, there's always going to be some drama, but at least the, the point of, of the actual point of the concert was, you know, helped out a lot when it comes to like, yeah. you know, Show them, you know, helping the world peace, getting everybody involved together. So definitely a pretty legendary tour. And, uh, you know, it got some legendary bands on there, too. So for sure. Oh, yeah, it's a great show. I think it's on. Most of it's on YouTube. Um, it's it's very good. I mean, the band sounded good. They played good. It was it was great. It was Maybe great we'll show. play a little clips there on the Facebook page. Everybody check out the Retro Absolutely. Blood Facebook page for all the extras on the show. But what do you got for us, Allison? And some metal. Well, now, <laughs> now I don't have anything nearly that big. Um, I only have a couple of album releases. It was really hard to find any metal that came out in August, in anything in August of of eighty nine. But um, th- there's there's two big things. Uh, one's not really well. Two of them are not really metal even. But uh, on uh, August sixteenth, which is like three days after this movie came out, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers released Mother's Milk which was the first Chili Peppers album I ever bought. Um, so that was kind of interesting. And then um, there's a Japanese band, um, which I, you've probably never heard of, called um, Elephant Kashimashi. They released their second or third, third album, actually, that week. Um, they're kind of an interesting band. It's not really metal, but it's kind of like hard rock, kind of hard rock, m- metalish type sound. It's kind of unusual. It's hard to describe. Um, so, you know, there was two things that came out and then also that week, I know I've mentioned this before, I believe, uh, on one of the nightmare episodes, but I'm going to mention it again, cause it's a big deal to me that week finally ended my Metallica saga where I've trying to see Metallica and never could all, all the way back to 1986. But that week was the week I finally got to see Metallica on the injustice for all tour in Greenville. Nice. And it was a life changing event. And then I was from then on, I was going to shows regularly and or as regularly as I could as a kid of that age. But finally got to see Metallica and it was a big deal for me. And I'll never forget it. You know, I actually never seen Metallica before. It's like one of the only bands, big bands I haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, definitely seeing them in their prime would have been better than seeing them now. But I would still go see them now just to see what that's like. Sounds good, man. Sound, a lot, a lot of partying going on over here. Oh yeah. So how about we get into it? So we have a big, big event here on the pro wrestling side because we're in August. Mm-hmm. This movie was released on August thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine. But uh, a little bit later on, August twenty eighth, nineteen eighty nine, we have the second annual SummerSlam. 
yeah. to talk about. It's just but, crazy how the um, Sleepaway Camp 2 coincided with SummerSlam number one. And now Sleepaway right, Camp 2, <laughs> I mean, Sleepaway Camp 3, three now uh, correlates with SummerSlam number two. So Yeah, because we're exactly a year later. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was looking for some wrestling shows during this time, and like I couldn't. There was hardly anything. Like I don't know what was going on in wrestling at this time, but there was SummerSlam and like one Japanese show. Yeah. Now that's a, all that was happening. There was, I think, there was like a primetime wrestling event that aired on August 13, nineteen eighty nine, which had the build for um, Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude, where um, mm. you know Andre the Giant came out and they were trying to distract Ultimate Warrior and they beat him down a little bit. Um, but that's the only thing that kind of happened on that specific date. But, you know, the SummerSlam, you know, this is a huge card because this is a very interesting card, too. Because mm, I, th- I agree. And we haven't, I think we should just go and talk about the main event first because I think the main event is very interesting. So this main event was built off of the movie that came out that the WWF produced uh, on June 2nd, 1989. And that is the classic No Holds Barred. <laughs> Have you ever seen No Holds Barred there, Allison? I have, but it's been a long time. We might have to do a Lights Out episode on this one because, boy, <laughs> this one is pretty crazy. Yeah, so. I was going to watch it actually before, again, before the uh, the uh, the show, but you can't find it anywhere. It's actually, I have the DVD. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're well, good to go. That changes everything. That changes everything, brother. I got the DVD, brother. I had to because this movie is great. So in this movie, we have uh, Hulk Hogan. He's paid by Rip. That's his wrestling persona. Is Rip, and his main antagonist. <laughs> Rip. All right, brother. His main antagonist is the the big monster Zeus. All right, and then Zeus to all of our non wrestling fans out there, this guy who played Zeus. Was um, Tommy yeah. Lister in yeah, the, Tommy in the Lister, tiny Tommy yeah. Lister, yes. And yeah. he, of course, where I know him from, was he was Debo. in he was in he was Debo in the yeah. Friday series, <laughs> the 1995 Friday series, which is great. I kind of want to do that too one day for a lights out. You know, fuck it, okay. lights out. We just do whatever we ever want. We do man. whatever we want. Ain't no rules in lights out. So Friday was actually low key one of my favorite movies growing up. I used to watch that shit mm-hmm. all the time. I love that movie. Perfect movie. Um, apparently he's also in the fifth element too, um, was, uh, Mr. Mr. Tiny over here, but none, none has more famous as Zeus in the WWF and boy, this Zeus guy. So I want to bring up, uh, uh, (laughs) before we get into talking about some of this background Zeus and stuff, I just want to put this out to you, everybody and Allison as well too, buy or sell Zeus or Omos. Oh, I knew I was going to bring this up too. Uh, man, like watching that main event, you're just like, oh, like Omos is uh, Zeus all over again. Yes. That bear hug. I, I can't figure out which is worse. Did you see that bear hug they did? Like he was just laying on him in the mat. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. And you could tell in the match too that Zeus is not a wrestler. No. He was just like, there to be a like, big demon. He, he like, looked he's the part. He's not even though. an actor. Like 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 this guy's supposed to be an actor, but he can't. He's not even like, he's not even like, um, you know, selling the moves very well. Like you know, like like the like you know the power moves and things like that. And you could tell like Macho Man and Hogan and uh, 
uh, beef and uh, the barber were moving him through that match because they would yeah, like definitely. you could tell that like there's a there's one part where he does like um a running clothesline on Hogan in the corner and Macho Man's in the ring and walks up and like hugs him and pats him on the back for some reason and you can just tell that he's telling him what to do because as soon as he lets him go he does that running that running clothesline in the corner and it's just like like he just you know he's just being guided. well he probably didn't get a lot of training I mean. <clears throat> this movie came out on June. <clears throat> Excuse me. This movie came out in June. So, like, yeah. you know, it's probably like, a, unless they had it, well, back then they did plan out stuff more than they do nowadays. So they probably gave him, like, a little bit of wrestling training. But, I mean, he definitely looked the part, though. He was definitely a big, giant monster, which they loved back here in the 80s. And, yeah. you know, he looked the part. Like, he looked good coming out. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, back here in the 80s in the main event scene, as long as you look like a big giant monster, it doesn't really matter if you worked or not. This crowd, did you see how crazy this crowd went for like basic oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan moves? It was nuts. Like Hogan was like punching him a little bit. The guy barely moved. You know, he would run into him and he didn't get down. And once he, you know, once he like knocked him down a little bit, the crowd would go crazy. And yeah, something I want to bring up is like okay so the, the the e they still do that nowadays but the problem is nowadays it just it just it just doesn't work as well you know like you know we get the big giant omas like i said omas and zeus very similar <laughs> they come out there they can't be stopped or moved you know we got to have the whole giants that are like towering everything they have to do the raw scene we, we always have to have the demons do the raw you know what i mean like the the growling and right. you know we have like a big you know, baby face, like a Bobby Lashley or like a Hulk Hogan, they're the only ones that can uh, take down the monster. Nobody else is, can, can take down this monster because they're too strong and stuff. So it just, it, but you know, back then the crowd would react more off of it just because, you know, back then in wrestling, it was all about the, the spectacle. It's all about like, look at these big giant character dudes. You know, the problem, the, well, the, the, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, but the problem though, the reason it doesn't work now, that would work now. But the reason it doesn't it work then and it doesn't work now is because of Hogan. Yeah, I can say. So, that. like Hogan was as hot as he ever got like during this period. Like this was like the pinnacle because like That's the true. next year it started going way downhill. Like Hogan started losing. Like he yeah. just got out of popular culture somehow. Like it just went to shit. Um, you know, and it would cause him to leave a couple of years later. Well, maybe three or four years later. But um, he, um, but yeah, I mean, like Hogan was like. I don't know. I mean, like, if you weren't there, I, I, I always hate it when people, people always said this to me. But if you weren't there, it's hard to understand just how much of popular culture Hulk Hogan was. Yeah. Like, everyone in the United States knew who Hulk Hogan was. And he, even today, I mean, and you realize this, but even today, like, if you ask somebody to name a professional wrestler, I would bet my paycheck they'll say Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Yeah, that or The Rock. Just, yeah, or maybe The Rock, yeah. But, like, if you just ask some random person on the street to say, hey, name a professional wrestler, they're more likely, they're most likely going to say Hulk Hogan or The Rock. You're right. Yeah. Um, but, it, it like, and, and so anything Hulk Hogan did was huge. Yeah. Um. So, but, so if that match was Zeus versus uh, Brutus Beefcake, it would not have been that way. But Hogan, you know, and then Hogan did his Hogan thing where he got the Hulk up and finally beat Zeus and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
but you know, it was, that's why that worked though. And not because of anybody's skill necessarily. Um, but it was, uh, it was because of, uh, because of Hogan for sure. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that. And it's very interesting too, with this card, how they, how they brought somebody from their own movie to be a big headlining attraction on their actual show. You know, I don't think they've done that since. Um, you know, because when we had WWE produced movies, you know, like the Marine and, you know, shit like that. The yeah. only time I could think that they brought a movie storyline to their actual show was when Kane hated his day of May. I think it was like, what, May 16th or something like that or May 23rd. Like he would always freak out about that date, which was the date that that movie got released. That was the only time I can remember them like bringing like a a movie storyline into their actual show. So this was pretty, this is actually to me, this was like a genius idea because not only did you get to promote your movie, you know, but you also got to bring the movie character to life and they, they coincided with each other. Like, you know, they, they, they went together. So I thought that was brilliant, you know, and obviously, you know, you know, Hogan was doing that few at Macho Man at the time, which they're always great together, you know, especially Macho Man. Like every time I see Macho Man and Hogan in the ring, it kind of reminds me of like two generational stars going at it, you know? And I think they were like one of the first to kind of like bring that big generation star or like we've seen that before, like, you know, with like, well, Hogan and the rock and Hogan and Austin were like a little bit bigger. Um, I think, you know, respective characters, but I think every time I look at Hogan and, and Randy, it kind of reminds me of Cena and punk a little bit because they're, they're seen as very, very Hulk Hogan like when he's wrestling and I think Punk's very like Macho Man like on his style of wrestling too. So I think those comparisons they always kind of remind me of each other. Um, oh yeah, that's a that's a very good comparison. I like that. It's very very uh, academic. I like it a lot. Yeah, it just always reminds reminded me a lot when I was seeing them in the ring together. And of course, you got Beefcake out there. I've never been a big fan of the Beefcake, the Zodiac. Uh, but you I know, I loved him when he was Zodiac. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's all, it just, it, I, I think this main event worked, you know, it's, it's very interesting too, that we had back to back summer slams and they both were big tag team matches. So, you know, during yeah. this time, like, you know, you don't really see that nowadays with their big shows, the main event being a tag team match. Um, no, we, we mostly just do like the one-on-one. Never. Yeah. We mostly just do the one-on-one singles matches, but you know, I guess if they had some sort of big. Well, even when they had the big celebrity of uh, Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle versus Triple H and Stephanie, you know, Ronda was hot during that time, but she wasn't the main event at that particular WrestleMania. They were just on the card. But it's very yeah. interesting to see the uh, the tag team matches main eventing these huge shows. Well, yeah, but one thing that you mentioned that I was going to ask you about is like, so you were talking about how like, you know, you know they've never really brought somebody from one of their movies into wrestling. But also the way this movie was made, it was produced by the WWF and it was and Vince McMahon was a producer on it. But I don't think it was originally his idea. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understanding, from reading like some things I've read about it, some interviews I watched before the show to do some research, it made it sound like they they came to them or somebody came to them with an idea about wrestling, do a movie about wrestling, and he they wrote a script for it and he hated it. Um, and mm-hmm. then Vince McMahon hated the script. And then supposedly Vince and um, Hogan um, 
basically holed up in a hotel room for seven for 72 hours and wrote a new script for it. Um, and you can tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in a lot of it, like this movie looks like it was written in 72 hours. I mean, they're like, yeah. they're basically superheroes. Like Hulk Hogan's ripping doors off and, <laughs> and, and shit like that. It's like, it was written just like the 1970s Incredible Hulk TV show was basically. Yeah. I think he's even moving in slow motion during part of it, if I can remember right. But, Probably. Um, but yeah, it's really weird because I watched an interview with Hulk Hogan on Arsenio Hall for when the movie, for when SummerSlam was about to happen. Um, and Arsenio was asking him about Zeus and he's like, he was kind of like, it was weird because Hogan and Hall would, and Arsenio Hall would kind of go between being like real people and being characters. It was odd to watch, but he was like, you know, Hogan would come out and he posed and everything, but then he sat down and he was talking just like the regular stoner Hulk Hogan that you hear, you know, when he's talking like a regular person. Um, like he just sounds like a, you know, like a stoner all the time. Um, but he, and he, you know, he's talking to Hall and then Hall's like, asking him about Zeus. And he's like, he's like, so how did you bring this guy from this movie into wrestling? And then Hogan literally, this literally happens. Hogan's like, looks at him and he's like, he's like, well, you know, he's like, you know, he's an actor. And then he stops and then like stops for him, like a split second. And then he just looks at the camera and says, let me tell you about Zeus, brother. And he just goes into the Hulk Hogan thing. And it's like amazing how you can just turn it on like a switch. Yep. And he's just like, then he starts talking about Zeus and he's talking about in the Hulk Hogan voice. He's like talking about Zeus and how Zeus like wanted to test him for real and had some problem with him, like hitting him in the face or something on the, on the set of the, the movie. And then he's like, then he just goes into the Hulk Hogan thing. And then they go, he goes back and forth in it all the time. But it's a great interview, but he just like turns it on like a switch. It's just like, I'm Hulk Hogan now. Yeah, it's like, he can do that. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. He could just go and boom, 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 right into it. Um, but let's uh, let's get into a little bit about the card itself. Um, oh yeah, this is a pretty good card. Um, I would say so. We had a dark match that we didn't, I didn't watch, but it was Dino Bravo. He defeated Coco Beware. So just a little match for the uh, opening crowd. Like you know, nowadays we probably see that on the uh, the kickoff show. Like just one little kickoff match. If they even yeah. do that, they haven't even been doing that lately. They don't even have enough matches to do that lately. Yeah, they, they, they don't fi- even make enough matches. It's probably because they fired everybody. Ricard. Anyway, they probably fired everybody, and then AEW has got twenty-seven matches on their five-hour paper. Yes, boy, that paper was so long. Holy shit! <laughs> I fucking I don't know. Okay, so let's get into some of the matches over here. Uh, after the dark match we talked about, so this match I couldn't really believe it when I watched it. <laughs> It's kind of like something like it's like when you think it back back in your head, it's like man, this mm-hmm. actually like this actually happened, and it was fantastic yeah. too. Uh, so we have the team of the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Tolly Blanchard, with Bobby Heenan, versus the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Nyhart. So th- this match to me was very interesting because, you know, Arn, when you think of WWF, you necessarily don't really think about. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. You'd think of more Jim Crockett promotions with these two. But, you know, this is when they 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 got some more money to come over here in the WWF and they became a really good tag team, which I which I don't think it gets a lot of praise, but they do they, it's like they do get a lot of praise and they don't get a lot of praise. They get a lot of yeah. praise from the actual wrestlers who love like wrestling and love tag team wrestling. They'll everybody will always bring up the Brainbusters tag team. 
Um, they don't get a lot of praise for the actual WWF because they're not like really like recognized as like one of the best, best tag teams, which I think they are because these guys were fantastic in the ring together and they were a great yeah. tag team. And obviously you could see a shit ton of like FTR in these guys. <laughs> no oh, doubt. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, that's just, I, well, I was going to say, I think they're just not respected because they were only there for a year. Yeah. So they're not thought they're not Arn and Tully aren't thought of as WWE guys. Now, and which is really interesting too on this card, of all the people doing the commentary, it was freaking Tony Schiavone. Yep. All that was that was that one year when they all left, remember? Yeah. Uh, well, you don't remember, but you know what I'm talking about. So like when Turner bought Crockett, a lot of those guys left, I guess over money. I mean, I know that Arn has said that he him and Tully left over money because they just got offered more money to go to the WWF and Tony went to WWF for a year and then quit and went back. And then he's yeah. also said that he regretted that and actually called Vince McMahon and asked for his job back. Yeah. And Vince turned him down because he said he didn't want to move his, his family again. He didn't want to have to, you know, he didn't want Tony to have to move his family again. Um, but Tony's like said that he's regretted that ever since. Cause apparently his time in WCW was like, terrible yeah a little, like a little tougher. for that company yeah i remember him yeah. saying he liked this whole year in, in in the in the wwf he liked it. and he actually he did pretty good like it was him and jesse ventura doing the whole pay-per-view play-by-play and it was yep. kind of weird hearing tony Schiavone's voice on like a, a wwf product but it wasn't oh, yeah. it wasn't bad though he did a great job so i thought he did a yeah. perfect job throughout the whole show yeah i mean to me tony Schiavone's like the voice of wrestling you know, I mean, I grew up hearing Tony's voice and like, even though I, when I got back into wrestling in the nineties, I liked the WWF product better for what was happening at the time. Um, Tony Schiavone is what wrestling sounds like to me. Yes. And so, so when I first heard him on this, I was like, oh, that's amazing. It's great to hear Tony, Tony on a, a calling, uh, a, you know, a SummerSlam. Um, but yeah, I mean, this match is incredible. I mean, it, it's so good. I mean, Anytime that Jim Neidhart is the worst wrestler in the ring, yeah. you know that you're going to get a good match. Well, I thought that you one know, spot they did. Um, did you see that uh, uh, slingshot spot where Brett yeah. went up to the rope and he slinged him right? I thought that was a cool tag team spot. Like, I'm surprised a lot of people don't steal that one to this day. I know. And there's like one, one, part, one scene, one part in the match where um, I think it's Brett. No, it's, it's, it's Neidhart that's in the ring. And Arn is outside the ring and he comes back in and then he like kind of gets hit by Neidhart at one point. And then he, he sells it so well, like it's over the top, but it still looks kind of real. Like he gets hit and then he like throws his arms up in the air and he just kind of like swings around on one foot and then falls like right flat on his back. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, they were just so good at that. Arn is such a good, good, good at selling moves. There was one like weird thing about this match though. Like when they came out, apparently the brain busters, they just won the tag team belts, mm-hmm. but this match wasn't for the WWF tag team belts. Um, and then like when they were trying to explain it, Jesse was, it was like, <laughs> yeah, like what, what happened was they just won the belts. When this match got signed, it wasn't for a tag team match. It wasn't <laughs> for a tag team title match. I'm like, just make it a, they're going to win anyway. Just make it the tag team match, title match. Right. It, I, I don't know why they went through that complicated thing to even do that or even try mm. to explain it. I mean, I guess they were trying to explain it to the fans that might wonder why it's not for the titles, but yeah, they should have just made it for the titles. Like, cause they just won them before, right? Like right before that. And then Tony's like, well, they didn't have titles when they challenged them. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know. But then I don't know what what would have been a cool way to get out of that would have been to say that well the you know the Hart Foundation wanted it to be for the titles, but when the contract was signed, there was no mention of titles because there were no titles to win at that time. Yeah. So the only way this match would happen is if it was non-title. But you know. It's still a great match, though. So this is definitely one of the highlight matches of the show. You know, it's the beginning match. So definitely a hot opener. So up mm-hmm. next, we have Dusty Rhodes versus the Hunky Tonk Man. And, of course, Dusty yep. Rhodes, this is full Dusty Rhodes um, living the gimmick. You know, he had the polka dots on. He had a little night, night stick with the, with, the, with the cop hat on there. Yeah, why is he wearing a cop hat? I think he, I think I he, I think he, he was like... The only thing I could think of is that he was in a feud or he beat the big boss man during this time. Oh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, and then the big thing about this match was um, Jimmy Hart nailed Honky Tonk Man with the guitar. So Dusty Rhodes picked up the win. And then Honky Tonk Man actually thought he was really Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next match I kind of skipped. I, I Listen, Mr. Perfect is great. But this yes. Red Rooster guy. Oh my God, Terry Taylor! I've never been a big fan of Terry Taylor. I think I think he's boring. He's what, boring. He's Randy Orton to me. But yeah. the thing is, though, like it was crazy to think though because originally Terry Taylor was supposed to be the Mister Perfect character. Interesting. Yeah, so it's very interesting uh, little little concept there. But nobody could have pulled that off better than Kurt Henning. Uh, the next match was a pretty fun one. It was just a six-man tag team match. We had a lot more of the high-flying guys during this time. Uh, we had Rick Martel and the Fabulous Rujos uh, versus Tino Well, uh, <laughs> Tino Santana, or has Jesse Ventura called him the whole time, Chico. <laughs> the whole Chico. time. like I was like, fuck, man, get, calm down. He's like, Chico, Chico here, Chico here, there. Uh, the, and then they first the rockers, Sean and uh, Sean Money. So very, very energetic tag team match. Get the get the crowd going. Um, the Rick Martel and the Fabulous Rujos they picked the, the victory for this one. All right, so let's get into one of my favorite matches. I knew you'd love this. Oh, bro, these guys. My '80s heart is, is pumping every time I see these two. The I ultimate this match. The you skipped this one. Hell no. Yeah. I knew, I knew you Listen, would piss you off, but I skipped this. The fucking Ultimate Warrior <laughs> and fucking Rick Rude. The Ultimate Warrior only had good matches with three people. Okay? He had one great match with Hulk Hogan. That's it. Only one. And he, he had a, a couple good matches with Randy Savage, but his best matches were always against Rick Rude. His okay. be- I think that's still his best feud, and his best matches were all against ravishing rick rude and of course during I, this i just i just saw rick rude's hair and i skipped it no way his fucking hair was great remember he was like kissing the camera a little bit i loved it <laughs> fucking going on bobby Hinn's like this guy's gonna beat his ass and everything and like all the women's are gonna go crazy and he's like kissing the camera i love it so rick rude's like my favorite 80s wrestler okay all-time favorite True. he's great everything I, everything he did was great to me that was just to me so um so this match is really so he beat he this is one uh, Rick he beat uh, Warrior for the Intercontinental Strap at WrestleMania because that's when Bobby Holden was holding his feet and everything and they were building up the whole time and it was it was a cool like check out this group like Bobby Heenan's group was great we had Rick Rude and Andre the Giant in the same group like how cool how cool is that you know what I mean yeah and true, then like dur- during this time like Andre the Giant would like sneak in and and, and kind of like tease and and, and attack the warrior 
uh, you know, when he was doing his feud with, uh, with, with, with Rick Rude during his time. And later on, you know, we, we see the, the, that's when Warrior would go on to a feud with Andre the Giant. And then Rick Rude would go on to this feud with Roddy Piper. So, you know, during this match, they're going back and forth. And I don't know, but for some reason, to, these guys actually had some good chemistry together. It, the matches weren't like, you know, it's not going to be like fucking uh, the Brain Busters and Bret, and Bret Hart and I Hart, nothing. But it's good. You know what I mean? The Ultimate Warrior always gets the crowd all hyped up. And yeah, true. So during this match, it, the, the, the ending was my favorite. So we had Rowdy Piper come out there. And Rick Rude's like, he has, he has like Ultimate Lawyer laid down stuff. He sees Piper over there. He starts teasing Piper with his little gyration. You know what I mean? He's like teasing him and right, teasing right, him and teasing right. him. Rowdy Piper's like, this guy's like fucking uh, gyration towards me. And then Rowdy Piper shows off his ass. He moon, moons him behind his kilt. And then Rick Rude's so mad that he did that. He's like, how dare you moon me? How dare you do it? And then he like gets up on the rope, starts yelling at him, and then then a warrior gets him from behind and pins him, and he got a new champion. And boy, the interview that they did after that was awesome. So first we get, uh, first we get Mean Gene Okerlund, which is always, I mean, who's a better backstage interviewer than Gene, Gene Okerlund? There's nobody, you know, nobody. So he's back there. Right? Ron Garvin comes up for some reason. Right, then he just gets whooshed away, and then Bobby Heenan just shows up here. He's like, "What the hell's going on over here? That guy was even in the match. Roddy Piper's supposed to be in this match at all. He just shows up out of nowhere. He's a cheap artist. He came from behind. He came from behind all the time. And then it's like, get over here, rude. Get over here, rude. Tell him what happened. He's like, Roddy Piper, how dare you come up behind me? He didn't even come up behind him. He came in front of him. He's like, how do you get? It's like, how do you? How do you like interfere in the matches? That's not fair. And he's all like. I was out there doing my thing in my wrestling match, and you were gonna show me your ass, Bobby Brain. That he didn't what that was. So like the the oh. I think I screwed that part up. So basically, he was all like this. He was all like he was all like you're out there, and then you just distracted me by showing me your ass, Bobby Heenan. What that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that line. And then they fucking freak. And then basically what happens now, we're going to have a feud with Roddy Piper and um, Rick Rude. And now it's going to be the ultimate warrior onto the giant. So I thought this, yeah. I thought this segment was a win. Uh, okay. The other one. So up next, we have uh, a six man tag. Another one. But now we got the big boys in for this six man tag. So we have Jim Duggan and Demolition. And they fought Andre the Giant and the Twin Towers. Now, the Twin Towers being Akeem, John's favorite wrestler, and mm-hmm. a big boss man. All right. So uh, the thing I noticed during this this particular segment was so so Jim, he was he won the King of the Ring, so he was named King Duggan during this time. And we talked about him winning King of the Ring before on on, well, on yeah, past yeah. episode. So he had a it basically it was the steel mask on his face because he was an honorary member of demolition during this time for this match. And he's coming out with the 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 steel face and everything. And Jesse Ventura is like, hey, that's that's not Jim Duggan, that's Jason from Friday the thirteenth. So I was like, oh crap, we got two shows we're reviewing that both hints at Friday the thirteenth. Not only SummerSlam, but this movie. Uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 as well. So I thought that was funny. And then, you know, this match was normal. Like, uh, the, the team of Akeem and Big Boss Man was, was a very interesting team. with Slick, by the way, too. And, of course, Heenan was out there managing Andre the Giant. So 
you know, basic match, you know, nothing too special. I skipped it, but it was a uh, good old times. Well, uh, yeah, I I did um I did watch this because Akeem was in it. <laughs> I knew uh, it. Akeem was the he he became the one man gang, right? Yes. Or he was the one man gang at one point, yeah. And like he's like uh yeah, um I never really understood the Akeem gimmick, the Akeem the African dream. I never understood that. Well, he's really. just a big guy um, who danced. Well, oh, right. <laughs> He's like, like the new, he's like um, he's like uh, what Shanky wants to be now. Okay, yeah, Shanky is Akeem essentially. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I mean I like I mean it was fine. Um, you know Andre the Giant was, you know, could barely walk. Bro, he barely like. could walk. Oh my god, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, Damn. I mean he was I mean, like he'd still, get in the ring and like. Good ugh. thing he didn't have to do that much. Like he was probably the only giant that can go out there and do absolutely nothing but still be awesome. Yeah, I don't even know. I, when I was watching this, one thing I real I never realized before is like I don't even know how he was able to stand on the side of the ring. Like, I mean, you know, he's huge. I mean, his feet have got to be gigantic, right? Yeah. Like it would be hard for him to like, you know what I mean? Like, if your foot's not fully on something, part of your foot has to hold up your whole weight. So I don't know how he would even stand on the side of the ring, especially for that amount of time without, you know his feet hurting or something. I think that's, I think there's enough, pretty crazy I think there's here. enough clearance to, to handle it. Maybe I've never been in a ring, so I don't really don't know how much clearance there is, but like he, I know that it would be hard. To well, stand you know, you know, Allison, it's the hardest part of the ring for his, it uh, is, it is the hardest part of the ring. Um, for sure. Um, so the next match we have is I skipped this one is Greg Valentine versus Hercules. And yeah, this is when, this, this was in, I guess Ron, uh, Ron Garvin was like in a feud with, Greg Valentine at this time. Uh, the next match was Ted DiBiase with uh, with Virgil. He defeated Jimmy Snuka, my countout. Okay, mm. let's let's get to the main event. Okay. So before we get into the main event, did you see the promo with Randy Savage, um, Zeus, and um, Sherry, where they were like they were, they were uh, like getting high off the the, the cauldron? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. <laughs> Where they're like casting, they're tr- like casting a spell yes. or whatever they're doing. Did you see? To... Did you see Zeus's face during the whole the whole interaction? Uh, yeah, I did. It was fantastic. Um, okay, <laughs> I loved it. And they're fucking talking uh, yeah. about like I see Hulk Hogan. I see him in this conundrum. He is laying flat on his back <laughs> with, and I see Brutus Beefcake laying flat on his back. And I don't even see Miss Elizabeth out there. She's too scared. And then Randy's all like. Yeah, I see them too, but they're a lot more. They're a lot more smaller when I see them on there. They're all in pieces. <laughs> oh, that was a great promo. I loved it. That was a good one. The, the one that Hulk Hogan and Beefcake did is just a normal Hulk Hogan promo where he like talks randomly about being in like certain. The, the the only part I liked about it was like he was all like, and yes, just like Moses parted the Red Sea. When Hulk Hogan comes out there with the largest arms anybody's ever seen, everybody just scatters around everywhere. So this guy act like he just walks around and people are like, oh, this guy has too big of arms. We have to get away from him. Well, I mean, they are 27 inches, right? Yes. The pythons, brother. 27 inch pythons. Yeah. So this match was obviously, it is a good match. I mean, obviously this is like more of a star studded match. Um, the one when Zeus is in there, boy, <laughs> a little tough. We, we, <laughs> gave, we, we gave him two moves. We gave him a chop and we gave him the bear hug. All right. So, yeah. you know, good card though. So good, good card. Um, you know, like we would, we would later see this rivalry 
come back in WCW when we had Hulk Hogan versus Z Gangster. Oh, yeah. Don't forget I, about I, I, Z Gangster, everybody. Don't I forget totally about forgot him. about that. So, But we're in the 80s, brother. This is all about Zeus over yeah. here. So, good match, though. Good SummerSlam. Um, fun card. I mean, I actually like liked the card. I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, the promos were fantastic, like they always are during this era. Everybody's all pissed off and, like, high energy during this time. Um, so, I, I definitely loved that about it. And then we had some good wrestling matches on there. We got more of the star-studded matches, too. But this is definitely be a fun card to bring the Trans Am to and get with the crowd and get with everything. So, definitely yeah, fun. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Speaking of fun, let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into some of this uh, Sleepaway Camp 3 Teenage Wasteland out there, everybody. This match is the, the third uh, movie in the trilogy of the Sleepaway Camp where we have Angela. Now, this is the second movie where we have Angela, uh, where we have um, Bruce Springsteen's sister. She yep. has re- reprised her role again as Angela and uh yeah so this movie is a pretty interesting um take you know apparently uh this movie was actually filmed right after the second one so i guess they already had like a contract for two movies so right after this mm. uh, right after the second one got film done filming maybe like a month later this one started to film and it pretty much wrapped up on halloween of 1988 um, to go back into production. They were at the same place that they filmed the first one too. Uh, which was that YMCA camp in Atlanta. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty interesting um, take. And apparently, um, uh, Valerie Hartman was back, but she, she, she was portrayed the character, she portrayed the character of Allie in the previous film. But she is credited in this sequel as an assistant to the director and has a raccoon wrangler. So I guess she was the one uh, doing like working on that raccoon scene. Uh, yeah, she worked on the yeah the <laughs> raccoon scene. What a credit to be. Uh, yes, in this movie. <laughs> so from for, yes, that's how we do. So apparently, I didn't know about this, but apparently, Sleepaway Camp ha- they did like they did like the Halloween series, where they would do a bunch of sequels, and then later on in the two thousands they would re- reboot everything. You know, remember like how Halloween. We had Halloween like uh, two and four and five and six and stuff like that. And then they came back around 2000s and did Halloween H2O, which was like totally didn't count the sequels or nothing. Right. So apparently Sleepaway Camp did that too, which I didn't know. So basically after the first movie, they, 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 they filmed a movie called Return to Sleepaway Camp in 2008. And this is a direct sequel to the original film. And this one actually has the Felicia Rose and she's reprising her character of Angela. So we have no more Springsteen's uh, sister mm-hmm. in, in, in his reboot. So pretty interesting. Of course, um, there is a there is a um, Sleepaway Camp 4 out there. Uh, but it's an unfinished movie that happened. Okay. So that one was around the 90s. That was in more into the 90s. You know what I mean? Of where they were kind of like filming that one. But I guess apparently the production on it went halted a little bit. So there is a lot of footage out there of this movie. And pretty much um, that footage is pretty much contained into the Sleepaway Camp box set. That's apparently out of print right now, which I want to get my hands on. Um, So that one, that's where the Sleepaway 4 uh, uh, footage is mostly found. 
in there as okay. well. So I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So yeah. like, I mean, I was, I'd heard about that. Like I knew about the unfinished Sleepaway Camp 4. And then I'd heard about the return to Sleepaway Camp, which was like made by the original director and a drag sequel of the first one. Yes. But I thought those were the same movies. I didn't know that return to Sleepaway Camp ever was released. So yeah. that is actually a, another movie that's actually out yes. that you could watch. Yes. Huh, interesting. Maybe one day we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive into it. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. But let's get into this whole movie because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to this movie. But everybody, let's get into the Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. I know that in the next three days we'll get to know each other much better. When we all get together again, I promise it won't be the same. Angela's back to slash last year's record. Last year's Camp Carnage was so much fun that Angela has decided to return for another season. Whatever happened to Angela Baker? Nobody knows. When did you learn to chop wood like that? I've never chopped wood before, but I've chopped other things. Those immoral young campers. When will they ever learn? Nobody wants to go to a camp where everyone's been slaughtered. What's your favorite um, color? Blood red. How many have you killed this time? Lots. Kill me too. How are you gonna do it? What's it gonna be? A gun. Seems like every time I go to camp, somebody loses their head. This year, camp's a real killer. Angela is seeing to that. Sleepaway Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. Party all night, Teenage Wasteland! Alright, so we start off the movie by seeing this uh, girl waking up. She's in her bedroom, there's like panties everywhere, there's some thrash music going on. So I'm like, okay, we're starting this movie on hot. And this girl... It's Anvil again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Anvil. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're a little bit about the, the soundtrack. Uh, they brought Anvil back uh, on the soundtrack. And they also brought, brought back the band Obsession. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of, of, of Obsession before? I, I had never heard of Obsession. But like since we did Sleepaway Camp 2, I've been listening to them some and researching them a little bit. Um I like them. I like Obsession yeah. a lot. Um, they're really good. Apparently, their singer went on to be in Loudness, which we talked about back uh, uh, on uh, in the archives. I think it was episode one. Yes, we were talking about Loudness. Um, the uh, but yeah, apparently he went on to be the singer of the Japanese band Loudness later on, which is one of my favorite um, bands. Yeah, Loudness is great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, yeah, uh, Obsession. Obsession is a good band. Yeah, they also brought this band called Agent Orange was also on the soundtrack too so definitely fun like this movie like like i said we have tits we have thrash music we got people going crazy what's not mm -hmm. like the love so we'll, exactly it starts off hot starts off hot 
So we see this girl, her, apparently her name is Maria. And she keeps like arguing back and forth with like her freaking parents saying, hey, I'm going to camp. They're like, what? It's like, I'm going to camp. I'm going to camp. And, you know, there's music going on during this whole time too. And, and then our girl Maria, she is shirtless. And mm-hmm. her gimmick is, everybody, on above her tits, it says milk and it says shake. Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring that up because if you didn't, I was going to. Like, I didn't really hear anything she said. Yes. <laughs> after, after I saw that her tits have milk shake. We, we, we were all memorized by the tits about saying milk <laughs> yeah. and shake. That's pretty insane. But yes. Now these aren't going to be the best tits on the movie. We'll get to that soon. No, no. But her that was her character. Basically, her character is like she's like she and the line she gives is like, "Hey, I'm going to camp. I might not even come back." And then like. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, or maybe, you know, hopefully you guys out in the audience did. Like, she kept looking at the camera. Hmm. Like, she yeah. actually, like, you know, if you don't just stare at her tits the whole time, she's actually, like, when she her eyes, she keeps, like, looking at the camera. Like, kind of, like, yeah, winking I, at us. Like, breaking I, I the fourth wall. I was not looking at her eyes. I was definitely not looking at her eyes. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, this part, this part is also kind of weird. And I want you to, I want you to try to explain this for me, um, Allison. When I when I'm done recapping this part, can you can you please? It, I will. The, it, this is not the only time you're going to say this during okay. the show. But, so yes. Yeah. So Maria is now she is now walking down the streets. Um, I think these are the streets of um, oh boy, it's uh, uh Atlanta. So three hours from us. This is in Atlanta. They filmed this yep. actually in Atlanta. They filmed this on the uh, Mitchell Street. All right, this the intersection of Mitchell Mitchell Street in Atlanta. Yeah, we should visit that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because this scene, basically she's walking down the street, and then out of nowhere there's a garbage truck. And the garbage truck uh, chases down Maria and whacks her, and she's, 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 she's been dead. She's got dead from whacking. Now, then we get the body. We put the body in the, the garage. I mean the garage. The garbage truck. And a creepy scene where we have a death by with garbage truck, which I always think that's pretty creepy when they put that in movies because, you know, you're getting, like, smashed and everything. But I need you to explain this to me, Allison. Okay. So, obviously, it's Angela, and she has now taken over the, the persona of this Maria mm-hmm. girl because she wants to go yes. back to this camp, this Camp New Horizon that's happening. But apparently... This is like a year later than than Rolling Hills, or ro- my my thing was Rolling Rock. <laughs> so this right, is like a year. Rock. This is like a re- a year later that it happened. So she, Angela's been on the run. So tell me, how did she know this Maria girl was going to the camp? How did she even steal this gar- this garbage truck? And how did she know exactly where to find Maria to run her down? And how did she even know what this Maria girl looked like? Like, it just, it's like, how did this all happen? So the way that happened was she'd been on the run. She'd been living on the streets of Atlanta for a while. Well, how did did she get to Atlanta? Well, hold on. (laughs) So, you know, she's on the run, you know, like, uh, you know, like Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk. She's like traveling across the country, trying to keep people from catching her. And then she gets there and then she goes to Atlanta. She's living on the streets of Atlanta for a while. And then uh, the, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. I was trying to think of some solution, but I have no idea how she knows that this girl's going to camp. So the only maybe thing- she just may ran into her at some point and well, heard her th- talking about it. 
I mean, <laughs> okay, the only thing I could think about was maybe there was like a newspaper article saying like, hey, this camp that had these deadly murders that happened a year ago, these new owners bought it and they're trying to get recruits to come out to this new camp. And maybe Angela read that. But even so, like, how did she know that this particular girl was going to go? Like, this particular Maria girl. Like, it was never exactly. explained. Like, it was just like, like, did she go into, like, the camp archives or something? But how can she do that when she didn't even... Anyway, it's called movie. That's how, that's what happened. It's, it's, it's called movie. Yeah. This whole thing just doesn't even... Like, why would she even need to take this girl's identity? Why doesn't she just fake just make a fake identity and go to the camp well because this girl was already like registered you know what i mean that's i, 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 I guess <laughs> or why does she need to go to the camp as 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 part of the camp anyway why can't she just go there because she's i don't know why does she even want to go to the camp like the, well, she like, misses, why does she keep wanting to go she misses, she misses the whole what? camp she misses the whole camp uh her, the, the people loving her in the camp she misses that she she misses the the camp lifestyle do you that's even the, remember the first movie? Like that's like the most traumatic thing that ever happened to her. And she Yeah, and but, she came, but but on the second movie, she came back as a counselor and she loved her job as a counselor until okay. all these bad kids started acting bad and then she killed them all. It wasn't her no, fault. No. It wasn't her fault that they all started acting bad. Okay, well, I guess that's true. Now, the only I thing is we didn't really figure out what happened to the survivor of the second movie. Remember when, I think, oh God. Remember when she rode up on the fucking truck and she was like, hey, camper. I guess, I guess, oh, I, she just, I guess she killed that one too. Yeah, I don't think she was a survivor. Yes. <laughs> I think she, uh, she just killed that bitch and then she just drove off in the truck to live on the streets <laughs> of Atlanta, of Atlanta, to live on Mitchell Street for in a Atlanta. Year. <laughs> yes, for a year. Anyway, so she gets into the van and we get Angela's back and we get some more thrash music. Yeah, obsession again. Yes. So now we are at the camp, and we have a newscaster named Tony. She is like uh, interviewing. Uh, so basically, what it is is, Camp New Horizon used to be Camp Rolling Hills, and these new owners have bought up the license to this camp, and their plan is to bring underprivileged kids and rich kids together. And unity, the show yeah, that, that they can get. Works yes, <laughs> the show that this can be a great learning experience. But there actually is a, a a hidden agenda for one Herman and Lily. So Herman and Lily are like the the the, the owners of this new camp. All right, and then we have uh, this this uh, reporter. She is going around <clears throat> and then uh, you know going to each kid. And they all like introduce themselves and where they're from. Yes. So we have, um, you know, we have all kinds of. The, we meet the whole cast. We have a parade of stereotypes. Is what yes. we have. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, we got like Riff. He's like one of the under eight. He's like one of the underprivileged kids with the little boombox. Um, yeah. We got Bobby, which is my favorite character. <laughs> he's like this like cowboy guy, uh, uh, the rich dude. Uh, we have Snowboy. Snowboy. Uh, his big thing is he likes to spray paint. Uh, we have Arab. He likes to throw dynamite on people. Uh, we, no. have, we have... Uh, <laughs> That's not true. You made that up. 
<laughs> Arab is the girl. The oh, she's the girl? girl. Oh, she's the girl one. She's the Asian girl. I don't know why she's called Arab. Oh yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, she's like this like Asian girl. Uh, I guess her gimmick was she's like the punk rocker girl. I guess so. Yeah, and Riff Riff is the <clears throat> stereotypical Det- Detroit yes. African American teenager who listens to rap music. Yeah, so we have the Anita girl. Uh, uh, we have uh, Greg, uh, the Asian guy who barely yeah. did anything in this fucking movie. Uh, we have uh, Tony. He was the, the, the Mexican Fonz character. Yeah, yeah uh, from East L.A. We have Maria, the redhead rich girl. Yep. Um, uh, Who's the, the, girl, the, the girl from Georgia? Because the movie doesn't actually take place in Georgia. Yeah. Well, um, is it the it rich girl? There, but... Well, we had the rich girl, Cindy, who was like no, the bigot. No, that's Maria. No, 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 no. The, the rich or... girl, Cindy, was like the one with the, the, the bigot mouth. Uh, no, okay. So which, isn't it the rich girl from Ohio that falls in love with uh, oh, that's, uh, that's, the guy uh, from L.A.? That's Marcia. Marcia, yeah. Yeah, that's a um, redhead girl. Okay, okay so the... So Maria's the, the, the slut. The, the country... Okay, the country girl is the is the rich girl. Yeah, the country girl, the Cindy girl. She's the the rich one. That's like uh, the the okay the asshole. Maria is like yeah, the okay. the slutty rich girl. Okay, we got our cast. Okay. <laughs> well, don't forget Stacy. Yeah, Stacy. Yeah, Stacy. She was hot. Stacy Lambert, played by Jan Hernandez. She was hot. She really didn't do anything in the movie except get killed, but she was pretty hot. Yeah, yeah that that's her gimmick, man. So then this is when Tony, the reporter, goes into saying, like, yes, this Camp Horizon used to be Camp Rolling Hills. Last year, we had some uh, brutal death murders by Angela, the angel of death, uh, one year ago and killed everybody at this camp. And then the owner's like, no, no, don't. You said you wouldn't say any of that stuff. Like, yeah, I, like the, the owners wanted to keep it a secret that a mm. year ago, people died at this particular camp location, which is like, even if you rebranded the name, <laughs> you just go to the spot. You don't know where it is. Well, true, but that's not something you'd probably want advertised. Yes. It's not a selling point. And the way Lily said it was like really funny. It was all like, it's like, no, we're under new ownership right now. And she's like, you wouldn't have said anything about the murders. I don't know. I thought that was funny. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, I don't know. The whole it would have been even funnier if she'd like spelled out the word murders. Yes, you know, like when you're talking like or yes, around a dog or whatever, like M U R D E R S. Yeah, and then like the the, the Tony reports like saying, "Hey, just, that's okay." You know, it says like, "No, I had to, I had to say something." That's what people want to know. They want to know the juicy stuff. That's how I get my ratings. We've heard that before. Mm-hmm. So this is when Lily's like, "Okay, everybody, let's go to the dining hall." And then this is a weird scene. So the reporter girl, she goes up to Maria, which is Angela. So when I say Angela, you know, everybody thinks of her as Maria. So I'm just going to say Angela for the point of this review. She goes up to Angela. And she's like, hey, you look a little like older than like the rest of these kids. And she's all like, (laughs) she's like, yeah, I've had a hard life. You know, a lot of drugs and stuff. And then the reporter's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I can score some coke. I was like, whoa, what? And then, like, Angela's like, yeah, there's, like, a machine down over there that can He's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, the real stuff. Some, like, Cokes and stuff. And then Angela's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. I was like, that came out of nowhere. Okay. 
And then Angela goes into like the, because uh, you know, Angela, she knows where everything's at because this right. is the same place that she was, did all her murders at. So she goes into like the, the, the chemical room and she gets some chemicals and she puts in a little baggie and she's all mm-hmm. like, you know, she's all like, you know, druggies, they'll, the thing about the druggies, they'll snort anything. And then um, we see the, we see the uh, Tony reporter girl uh, get a tape and jump into her nice red car. I think it was a Corvette. Could have been a Ferrari. I'm not really sure. But she gets into the car and then she gets a little bag. She's like, man, that's a kind of, that's a lot. She's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's on me. I, I'm a big fan of your show. She's like, okay. And she's like, hey, have a nice life. What's left of it? it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, the then the girl stops. Tony, she mm-hmm. does a little bit of the, 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 the snorting of the chemical cocaine. And, of course, she is dead. Quickly. Right. Exactly. So a couple of things at this point that I thought were really strange. Um, the comment that where they, she t- tells Maria that, or Angela's Angela, yes. that um, she looks a little bit older, but like at this point in this series, they've completely gone away from like even hiring actors that look like they might be teenagers. Yeah. Because like, so like they pa- have boob jobs. And yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like they're not even like, they're not even, they don't even look like they're in, they're like, teenagers anymore so apparently the age of this group is supposed to be around 17 or 18 and apparently yeah. angela is supposed to be 21 so that is like what okay. we're the age we're looking for um so this is when we get the the guy with the firecrackers um uh what's his name um doyle he's mm-hmm. the one with the firecrackers so he scares angela a little bit and um then herman this guy was fucking weird this guy says he said some comment like, "Oh, just a couple of firecrackers. You, 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 uh, you city under underprivileged folks should be used to that." <laughs> <laughs> so we're inside the hall now, and this is when we get the whole speech of everybody welcoming everybody to camp. Um, so my boy, uh, my boy Bobby, he first wants to sit with uh, Arab, the Asian girl. She tells him to go hit rocks. He's like, okay. Then he goes to try to go sit with the uh, with our boy um, um, uh, Doyle and Riff. And Riff's playing his old. So Riff, he always has like a uh, uh, a jukebox next to him, or like a, a boombox. Boombox. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's constantly playing rap music on his boombox. Yes. And boy, this rap music is kind of lame. Like I gotta tell him to. You know, it must be some like in, indie shit. He's listening to. I don't. Even, I don't even know where they found this, but yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then they basically he scares them off with a knife. All right. So now we're seeing Bobby. He can't really like get along with a lot of people. And eventually, Bobby sits at the same table as Maria. All right. And then Bobby like he introduces himself and you know who he is and everything. And um, you know, he says, oh, hey, you're Maria and stuff. And, like, uh, Angela's like, oh, yeah, I'm surprised you, you know, recognized my, remembered my name. <laughs> and he's all like, yeah, yeah, like, no problem. And then um, he's all like, so how does it feel to be an underprivileged kid? Well, <laughs> smooth. Yeah, he said, smooth, Bobby. He said, well, he said, yeah, he's like, I'm great with names. That's about how I became, became vice president of my high school. Yeah. He's like, so how does it feel to be underprivileged? Or he yeah. says, so you're underprivileged or yeah, something, yeah. Like something like that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on, man. Holy shit, really? Yeah, so now uh, Lily is telling everybody, hey, 
everybody's going to be wearing a, a sweatshirt and a t-shirt with the name um, of the camp's name on them. And mm-hmm. she's basically breaking down what is going to happen. We're going to have three groups of, of, of teams for three days. And they're all going to stay together for three days at the camp. And then, and then the last day, we're all going to meet up together. All right? And then this is when we get the country girl, Cindy. Cindy. She doesn't really understand camping. So they all had to like explain camping. It has in like, you got to sleep outside. You got to sleep in sleeping bags. You got to hunt for your own food. And they're like, well, what kind of food are we going to be getting? She's like, fish. We can only afford fish. That's the only things we're going to be doing. Uh, and then during this, this is weird. So it's there, there's a couple uh, things we have to do while we're in camp for, for our sleepaway camps. So we have to have tits. Okay, we have to have uh, teenagers uh, fighting against each other. Okay, and we have to have yeah. the older guy who is flirting and wants to get some ass by a counselor or from a from a from a, a, a participant at the summer camp. The newest person trying to do this is a bar Herman. He is showing off his Playboy belt buckle. Isn't it Jan? Yeah, Jan. It's Jan. She. Yeah, yeah Jan is the uh, the 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 rich. A uh, horny girl, the slut girl, and she's all about this guy's fucking Playboy belt buckle. I was like, "That's all I gotta take? Just wear me a Playboy belt buckle?" She's all happy, and then like, "Well, this is why Lily's like talking." And then he like looks down her shirt. Did you see that? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Okay, that came out of nowhere." So uh, we're yeah, we're, we're random. It's kind of like when the you know the first movie where we had the the head of the counselor randomly towards like towards the end of the movie saying, "Oh yeah." I'm about to go have dinner with this girl. We planned it for the whole time. I was like, okay, that's creepy. (laughs) At least this one established it right away. Like, boom, ready to go. Right, right. It didn't come out of nowhere. Yes. So there are going to be three days as a smaller group. So so, since everybody was complaining, she's like, okay, what we'll do is we'll have it three days as a smaller group, and then we'll do two days all together. All right? And then then, um, I think it was Snowboy said, like, so do we have a? Do we have to get all the? Uh, can we have the girls and the guys sleep with each other? <laughs> and everybody starts laughing a bit. Wow! And then of course the Arab is like, "Now nah, because they're afraid we'll fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Man, this script is something else. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's perfect. Now, okay, so now. This is interesting. So now we have the third counselor. So we have Lily Herman. They're the main two counselors, but we have a third one, a special guest. We have Officer Barney show up. And apparently Officer Barney is the arresting officer of Angela all those years ago. Okay? And if we remember from the second movie, the one we did last week, uh, Officer Barney is Sean's dad. Remember Sean? Yes. He Sean was the one who was the lover boy, and you thought that his character was going to do a lot more, but then he eventually just got his head chopped off. Right. So now his dad. So now we have his dad here. So his dad is now in canon with the film. Okay, <laughs> and he is going to be the third um, counselor. And then we see Angela over there. Be like, oh shit. This guy might recognize me, so she tries to hide her face and tries to avoid him when he's talking. So this is a weird scene coming up here, too. So we're showing 
that some of these kids can't get along. So we have Riff and we have Tony. And Riff is like starting to make like these like noises. And then Tony's like, hey man, what's your problem? You got a problem with me? And then he says a naughty word that I can't really say on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And they start fighting each other. And our boy, our boy Riff out here has a knife. He pulls a knife. And eventually Barney comes up. Barney Five. He comes up. He fucking stops him from fighting. And he gets him to blush away. So we're showing the authority figure as Barney. He is. So at first you think he's there to kind of be like, okay, we got, obviously we got these troubled teens and stuff. He's probably just there to be like a little bit more of a head of authority figure. But he also has another motive as well too. That we'll find out. And then of course my boy Bobby is like, Oh man, this is better than TV. <laughs> so this wow. is this is yeah. when we get the eight. This is when we get the what's the demographic? Eighteen to thirty. Is it eighteen to thirty-five demographic? Uh, that sounds about right. Okay, let's just say this is the eighteen to thirty-five demographic. This is their scene. Scene here. Mm. We are now in the girls' bunker, and there is tits everywhere. Yes. Big tits, small tits, fake, little yeah, tits, fake, fake tits. tits everywhere. Yeah. Boy, the, this is like the 18 to 35 demographic. This is when the ratings go up. Okay. <laughs> More than one thing are going up, I guess. So That's they all start true. putting their shirts on. And this is when we have Angela. She has like this like uh, bralette thing. And one of the girls is like, man, is that thing made of steel? <laughs> and then this is when Cindy, she finds this spray painted... um uh spray painted stuff of it says fuck angela baker and this is when it <laughs> continue excuse yes. me <laughs> and then the uh the, the asian girl arab she starts talking about it she's like yeah it's like yeah they uh, she was all saying like yeah they didn't even tell us that like this camp was like camp from the year ago where this angela girl killed everybody and this is all like she talks to cindy she's like how much did your parents even pay for this place and Cindy's like, I don't know, like $3,000? And then A-Rap's like, yeah, I bet the government paid $3,000 for us to be here too. And this is all because of that Angela Baker girl. And I was like, wait a minute. This shit cost $3,000 to come to this rainy dink camp? I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, damn, okay. It's pretty amazing, right? Yeah. So after all this happens, um, they all the kids had to be checked in now. So I'll have to show their IDs, and they're about all. We're, we're about to get all the kids into their groups, and uh, Angela tries to sneak away because the one who's doing all the IDs is is Barney. So Barney eventually tells Angela to come over here. Angela gives him the ID. He looks at it. He looks at her. He's like, "Man, he's like, he's uh, <laughs> like, you look a lot different from your picture." She's like, "Yeah, it's been a hard couple years for me." He's like, "Oh yeah, I understand." Because basically, Angela's thing was basically she was on drugs. That's how she's been telling everybody. That's why she looks a lot different than the original Mar- Mar- Maria girl. Okay. Yeah, because drugs make you look completely different. Yeah. And he asked her how old she is. She said 17. And she's all like, you know, she hasn't had a nice time. She's been she's been tough. And then, and then of course, Brian's like, okay, well, I hope this group will help you out and stuff. I hope you'll, you'll find some good peace over here. <laughs> so now Lily is now giving out the groups. Okay. In the first group, uh, Lily's group, we have the Asian girl, Aram, uh, Bobby, Griff, and Cindy. Okay. In Herman's group, we have June, 
Maria, Snowboy, and Doyle. <laughs> Peter Doyle, by the way. Peter Doyle. Peter Doyle, yeah. Yes. I like Doyle better because it reminds me of Misfits. Anyway. So, and then in Barney's group, we have uh, Marcy, we have Tony, we have Anita, and we have Greg. All right? So, we got all our groups settled now. Okay? And then Bobby is, is complaining because his map got spray painted. Okay. So, now we're walking through the forest. This is Barney's group. We're with Barney's group. Okay? And... Uh, Bronny said, like, listen, we're going to stop here. We're going to camp here for the night, but I'm going to break the rules a little bit. We're not going to be eating this fish. We're going to have some hamburgers that I brought. And then, of course, Tony, the rebel, he's like, I bet you're a cop. You can always break the rules. <laughs> and then we get into this whole backstory of who Barney is. Barney's like, listen, that might be true or something. But he's like, the reason I'm doing this right now is because I'm making up for lost times, which I should have done before. You know, my son came here last year to this camp a year ago, and he got murdered by Angela. And I'm basically here right now to make up for lost time and to help out kids and, you know, be a, be a good role model to kids, which I should have done with my son at the time. Because if you remember from the first movie, remember Sean couldn't really come to camp a lot because his dad didn't really have a lot of money. Right, and he kind of like they uh, they had like a very, um, they 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 didn't have the most perfect relationship with, with each other, so I I do like that callback to the second movie where they actually keep some uh you know storylines together. So that part is yeah. pretty cool where they made that part. And is, then they, go ahead. I was gonna say, is this the scene or is it later on where there's a similar scene where um somebody asked him asked him what Angela looks like? Uh, that's a little later. And then he said. Okay, never mind. We'll talk about that when it happens. Yeah, because there's an interesting part on that, too, that doesn't do storyline part. So this is when Tony basically apologized for being an asshole. He's like, it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. So now we have Angela. She is chopping wood. And our our boy Herman's like, man, you're pretty good at that. You ever chopped wood before? She's like, no, but I chopped other things. Hint, hint. (laughs) Hint, hint. So this, (laughs) this is a weird scene. So this is when Herman, she, he's telling everybody, hey, we got to go fishing now. So he's telling like Maria, Snowboy, and um, Jan that they got to go fishing. Jan does a hissy fit. She just goes into her tent and does a hissy fit. And he basically tells Snowboy and um, Maria, Angela, to go fishing. They do. And then uh, he keeps calling fucking Jan like Sweet Pea. Oh, it's okay, Sweet Pea. It's okay, Sweet Pea. I don't want to make you go fishing, sweet pea. Daddy will help you out. I'm like, oh, bro, it's getting creepy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this Herman guy was a little weirdo, too. I was yeah. like, damn. So this part is uh, a little funny as well. <laughs> so they're fishing, right? And uh, what's his name? Oh, Peter's there, too. He's, he's part of that group. He's fishing, too. So it's Peter, Angela, and Snowboy. They're out there fishing. So Peter gets him a fish. He's about to put a little... Uh, firecracker in it but of course Angela she the first thing she catches is the Jason mask that we had from the second movie <laughs> and of course they're all like oh what day is this today well today is Saturday the 14th ha 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 funny yes yeah, so we have a little reference to Friday the 13th of course 
So after this, um, <laughs> I don't know why I found this scene so funny, but I think it was Andrew. She was all like, well, where is the, where's Jan at? Why aren't they here? And of course, Snowball's like, I know where they're She's trying to get some fucking, uh, get some ass from that, from that Herman guy. <laughs> yeah, they, they've been fucking flirting around this whole time. And fuck, I'd like to get me a piece of that ass too. So yeah, Snowbird over here. Ass? No, no, of the, of the <laughs> <laughs> of Jan. He, no, he called her. Yeah. I think he called her like a rich slut or something. He said he wanted yeah. a, he wanted a piece of that too. Yeah, and she's the hot one. Yeah, she was the hot one. I was like, damn, okay. Although we're Hermione over here, lucky man. Uh, so now uh, this is when they blow up the fish, and then uh, Angela gets all freaked out and she runs away. So this is, so this is when our boy Herman, he is now in the tent, and we have, uh, not fully naked, Jane, but we have Titch showing Jane, and we have uh, mm. uh, this is the other eighteen to thirty-five demographic scene. Boy, our boy Herman, he was going forever. Like, this guy looks so happy during the scene. He probably was like, "Hey, can we keep doing the scene over and over again?" Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> how why would you blame him, right? Yeah, exactly. He was touching cop in the field and everything, man. And this guy, this is probably like the highlight of his life. Who's He's this? probably like, I think I can do this scene better. Let's let's do another take. So this actor was Michael G. Uh, Polaroid. Apparently Michael he was, J. Pollard, yeah. Yeah. Apparently he was in like Bonnie and Clyde too during this time, but man. <laughs> yeah. He was having a great time during this. I, I think he was like saying, let's keep let's keep this going. So eventually we get the basically what's happening is Angela's walking up while they're all like flirting with each other, getting it on. And then right when our boy was about to zip down his pants with a little Playboy belt, the mm. the tent zips down at the same time too. And then of course Jane's like, Oh crap, we have somebody watching. It's Maria. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's like, and then like, this part was really funny. Herman's like, don't judge me, Maria. The Lily ain't giving me none. <laughs> and wow. then he's like, he has like his pants almost halfway down. And this is when she starts whacking him with the branch. <laughs> <laughs> so like, apparently, uh, a deadly weapon at camp is a tree branch because she was a whack- stick. A stick. Because she was yeah, whacking she him. him with a stick. Yes. I mean, I guess there could be some tree branches that are pretty tough that can hurt you. But this one didn't look like it, but I guess it was one. So eventually he keeps whacking him, whacking him, whacking him. And then eventually he, she kills him by, by pushing the stick down his throat. <laughs> and then during this time, yeah. like, um, uh, Jan's like, come on, Herman, what are you doing? Just get her away or something. And then she comes out. She's like fully just tits everywhere. She looks at him. She starts running away. And then, she, and then eventually Angela whacks her with the stick, and then eventually she just whacks her to death with the stick too. So, so our girl Tits or, or Jane, she's gone, and then there Sad. goes, and then the, the the demographic of eighteen to thirty five is now turned off. Yep. Yep, I was sad. I was like, oh, yes. I can't believe they killed this. This I can't believe they killed oh. this girl this early. I was like, come on, man, don't tease me like that. Anyway, so she is taking care of both of them, and then she starts putting them back into the tents. Huh? Oh, and then she says, like, Lion, she's like, good thing uh, you're dead now because your tits will be sagging when you're older. <laughs> what a random ass thing to I say. Know, like, I was, I was like, it's like they try to come up with these one liners like yeah. these movies are supposed to have, and it's like, this is just the best they could do. Yeah. So now it's dark outside, and then now Peter, she, he is asking, like, hey, where's Herman and Jan? She's asking Angela that. She's like, oh, I'm not sure. They're going to be out for a long time. We should all get to bed. 
And then the snow boy is all like, he starts spray painting stuff. And he's like, and then they, they tease her with another bomb and stuff. And then Snowboy starts like getting like wild up. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a teenage wasteland. So he gives like the title of the movie and everything. I was like, that's random. Right. And they start like acting up a little bit. Uh, so now we have uh, Barney's group. They're all happy that they had the hamburgers there and they're all getting along now. And apparently um, the, the redhead girl, Marcia, she wants to, she has to go go to the restroom or something and Barney insisted that Tony goes with her because he wants everybody to be safe here in the forest. Yes. Okay. Which is weird, but okay. Yes. And then we get Tony, we get Marcia, they're talking about, you know, Barney's son and the grief he must have. And then they hear something creepy. Tony thinks it's something, but it's a raccoon. Okay. Which is the raccoon scene. Yes. So now we have uh, Snowboy. What a name, by the way. Snowboy. I'm be- I'm guessing that's supposed to be like a reference to cocaine. That's something they I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah I-, I guess that's what that means. And then Peter, the cra- the firecracker guy, they're sleeping. Angela puts her firecracker in Peter's mouth, lights it, blows up his... This thing just blows up his face. So he's gone. <laughs> that's easy. Okay. <laughs> I, I, this is like the T... This is like fucking TNT fucking <laughs> firecracker or something. <laughs> Blows up. I know. Like he just blows up his yeah. face. Oh my god! And I then Snowboy wakes. <clears throat> Snowboy wakes up, freaking out. And then she fancy um, whacks him in the head uh, a couple times too, and he's out. All right. So they, they they we were we don't play around this movie. People are just dying in every scene. All right. <laughs> And then they put, well, that's why all these kids are in it, right? Like they have yeah. all these kids so that they can just have a high body count. Yes, pretty much. So after she's done killing all of them, she puts them all into the blue tent that our boy Herman and Jam were messing around in. This part's pretty creepy too. So she puts them all in the tent. She lights the tent. She puts all the tent in gasoline and then she lights it on fire. And then we hear that they're screaming. So one of them was still alive. Mm. Somehow, yeah. Somehow. And then you can hear him screaming and boiling alive in this fire and, and shit. And no one notices this fire. No. Apparently. They're they're like too far. Yes, they're too the far. Yes, they're too far away from the other mm. campers. We had to be a minimum of a hundred feet away. Which is uh, which is another contrivance. Like that annoyed me too. It's like as soon as that I was like, so we're gonna split everybody up into three groups. And I'm like, okay, so we're splitting everybody up into three groups so that there's not so many people together for her to kill all these people without anybody else knowing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's called movie plot. Okay. So this is when um, Angela and Ray are, walk, are walking. And then, and then A-Rab's like, hey, so how old are you? She's like, yeah, I'm 17 years old. She's like, my, t- my town's water. They didn't have fluoride. The excuse to use this for looking older it just astounds me. Like there's a new one in every scene. Exactly. And then eventually she goes into the tent. She's like, hey, you know, you, you can come in this tent and this is where she's like, where's the other tent at? It's like, well, okay, the other the other tent that we had over here got blown away and stuff. Um, but she's like, hey, this time right over here, there are Peter and, and uh, Snowbear in there. So she goes in there. She's like, no, there's nobody in here. And eventually Angela now kills the Arab girl with an axe. So there she goes. Yep. Another one's gone. Yes. So this is when they are back. Uh, we're back at Lily's group, 
and they're talking about their signs, you know, like what kind of zodiac signs they are. And this is when they got about talk about movies. And our boy Bobby, he likes uh, movies that make America look great, so he loves Rambo Part Three. <laughs> yes, movies that make America look great. Rambo Part Three. What a yes. classic film. Says. <laughs> of all places, Rambo Part Three. Yes. Riff likes any movie with tits and blood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then uh, Cindy now is getting on to Riff because she doesn't like rap music. And of course, um, Riff said it was better than that country shit you'd be listening to. And then she, uh, Cindy eventually calls him the N word. That came out of nowhere. And then eventually yeah, Riff and that them, was shocking. Yeah, I know. To me. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like, I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's like I was saying before at the beginning of the show, you know, there's like some language, like back in the 80s, man, they didn't give a fuck. You know, they were just saying all kinds of shit, slurs and all kinds of shit, you know. And, you know, nowadays, if we would hear that kind of language, it would be a movie about a particular period of time. You know, these are just yeah. like normal kids during the 80s. You know, you wouldn't really see that nowadays on some of the movies that we have out. Right, so. right. And I'm definitely not saying that that's not, you know that that character wouldn't say that word because she she definitely would. I yes. mean, you know that that girl from Georgia in the eighties would definitely say that word. But it, even in a movie in the eighties, that's not that common for it just to be the n word to just been to be like thrown around like like it has no meaning. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like like she literally just like describes him as the n word. Yeah, like it's it was I was like I was like blown away. Like it was like wow. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so then, then after that, they kind of have a little scuffle. And then this is when Lily uh, asked uh, Angela, what's her favorite color? And she likes blood red. And of course, Bobby, he likes blood red too. And she's like, oh, okay, well, we're finally getting people to get along. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay. So now we're back. We're back with Barney's group. And eventually, they bring up like, hey, you know... um, Whatever happened to the Angela girl? You know, where where, where is she? Where is she? Where is she been at? And well, first they, you know, first they were talking about the the raccoon that was scaring Tony, and then they asked mm-hmm. about the Angela girl, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, we don't really know. You know, this is when the Barney goes on, like, well, we don't really know what happened to her. Um, there's not really a, there's so this part was kind of weird. So he was saying basically that her records from 18 and on have been destroyed. Okay, so along with every picture of her, yes, but so she we said there, there, she looks like. there's only a picture when she was younger, but there's been no no pictures of her when she was at the camp uh, from the from the the second movie, which is wrong, because yes. remember those two little horny boys, the Tit Patrol, they took a picture of of Angela, you know, when she had her 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 shirt up a little bit, and it clearly had her face on there. And so there was a picture, and I thought that was going to go somewhere. Like I thought they were maybe we're going to find that picture throughout this movie, but they don't. So that's like a like this little trope that they they forgot about that they did during the second movie. And and it's kind of weird too. So you know, in the second movie, we found out that Angela she went through a lot of like treatment, and she went through a lot of like you know hypnosis, you know all that stuff to treat somebody who had like a traumatic past, and was yeah. and was released and was okay. So you're telling me some magical way all those records of her getting treated and growing up from that age to na- to to now got destroyed somehow. Sure. 
Because yeah. otherwise, the plot wouldn't work. Yes. It was a clerical error. Okay. Gotcha. So they're talking about that. And then now we're seeing Lily wants to play a game with her group called the Trust Game. The Trust Game is pretty much, it's going to be, um, it's going to be Angela and Cindy tied up together. And it's going to be Bobby and Riff and they're tied up together too. Uh, where, where it's kind of like they're doing a blindfold. And you have to trust the person. Uh, so now it's going to be Cindy and Angela. They go first. So Cindy is all tied up. I don't know. Angela is all tied up first. And Cindy is uh, complaining about, like, you know, how Riff, how he's in a street gang. <clears throat> and he said, like, he's probably going to go back and tell everybody he tortured this white girl. And he, she says the, uh, the bad word again, too. Yeah. Um, and then eventually um, Cindy teases Angela with a little turtle. And then now it's Cindy's turn to put on the blindfold. Okay. So now she is on the blindfold and she's going on like, you know, hey, we're going here as a secret. And then this is when Angela is asking her stuff. It's like, hey, are you like a cheerleader? She's like, yes, I'm a cheerleader. It's like, are you a virgin? No, I'm not a virgin. She's like, do you ever do drugs? It's like, everybody does drugs. All right. And then while this, Angela starts to like hook her on like a flagpole. And, you know, Cindy's, like, kind of playing it off, like, you know, oh, are you trying to scare me now and stuff? Because she's blindfolded and stuff. And eventually, Angela, with the strength of, uh, I don't know where she got this powerful strength from. Um, maybe she, during her year off, she was uh, hitting the gym a bunch. Uh, maybe she was uh, has some of that hidden Cesaro power or something like that. The Hulk power has this came through ridiculous. her body. She, <laughs> she... A human body, she rang up the whole flagpole. Yeah. Okay. And then during this time, Cindy's going crazy, like, you know who my dad is and shit like that. And why are you doing this to me and all this shit? She's like, well, I'm doing it to you because you're uh, you're a bad person who does drugs and, and shit like that. And then eventually, yeah. An- Angela just drops her right on her head. And there goes our girl, Cindy. We, we should myth bust this one day. Like, do you like to see if it's even possible? Like, you work out all the time. You're a pretty strong guy. Let's uh, let's see if even someone of your power and strength could um, raise someone up a flagpole. I mean, I might be or, able to or, get like a kid, but like you know, Cindy, like, she ooh. she's not like she's obviously she's not like fat or nothing, but she's like tall. She was like pretty tall and lengthy, so that might be a little. Yeah, tough. well, well, we won't use me. We'll use uh, we'll we'll get a uh, we'll we'll find uh, Bethany No Fear and see if you can see if you can pull her up. A, I'm sure she would love that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't asked her. If she's on board for this plan. I'm just assuming she is, but um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if you can actually do it. Let's see. Let's yeah. see how how possible this is. Uh, yeah. So there goes our girl Cindy by some human strength that Angela possesses. So now Angela, she goes back to the uh, where Lily's at, and then Lily's asking, "Hey, where the hell?" And Lily, she's eating a steak during this time, by the way, as well. She's she's has herself a steak. And the reason she's making a steak is because she can't eat fish because she's allergic to fish, but everybody else has to eat fish. Okay. So she's like, hey, where did Cindy go? She's like, she's resting. She's like, oh, that's not the, she's, she can't be doing that. She has to come back out here. She says, and then, and then Lily starts giving her a bunch of like chores to do, like throw out the trash and all this stuff and tells her like, hey, there's this cabin over here. She's like, oh, without the cabin. She basically, the cabin that Angela kept all the, the dead bodies at in the second movie got burned down. And mm-hmm. she looked a little sad about that. Um, 
And she's like, and then Angela's like, kind of like, oh, was that where all the dead bodies were found? She's like, how did you know about that? She's like, well, I read it. She's like, well, just don't it. tell the others. <laughs> it's a secret that there were murders here, although everybody seems to know. Yes, exactly. Oh. Everybody knows it, but it's a secret. So now this is uh, Angela. She is now in the medical cabinet grabbing the bug spray. And she grabs, she grabs some keys. And now she starts having some flashbacks. So we have some flashbacks from the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like we had the, 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 the happy camper song. They all love each other. And this is when they're all giving Angela a standing ovation and stuff. So she's having flashbacks of her being a great counselor. Counselor, at, yes. yeah. But even though she never even was this- one. Right. Even though this movie is only 79 minutes long, we're yeah. still using scenes from scenes from the second movie to uh yes. to pad it out, which reminds me of uh the um uh Christmas movie we did. Yeah. Uh, Silent Night Deadly Night 2, which yes. half of it was the first movie yes. again, yeah. Well, this one was only like a little bit, so it's not too Yeah, it's bad. not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah. So this is when uh, Andrew, she goes back to Lily, you know, gives her the spray spray can and stuff. And she's like, Cindy's not coming. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to go deal with her later. So we're going to play another trust game. She says, Bobby and Angela, you guys are up next. And you're going to be tied together. And you're going to go tie together. And you're going to go fishing. All right. And then Griff is basically just like, you know. Uh, Griff. Yeah, Griff is just off, <laughs> off lunacy shit and stuff. Um, yeah. So this is when An- Angela and now Bobby are fishing now. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, Bobby is going on. She's all like, you know, well, first Angela's saying like, you know, why did you even come to this camp and stuff, Bobby? It's like, Bobby's like, well, I thought it'd be a once in a lifetime experience. It'd be great for my resume. <laughs> <laughs> and then apparently, I guess his big thing, he's, he's probably going to be like a politician or something like that. Yeah, because remember, he was the vice president of his high school. <laughs> so this part is kind of funny. So he calls Angela's like, hey, you know, you're pretty nice. Do you think I'm nice? And then he's like, she's like, yeah. She's like, I, I kind of like being tied up. Uh, I kind of like being uh, tied up next to you. It turns me on. <laughs> and then he tries to kiss her and stuff. And she's all like, and she pushes her off. She's like, what, what's going on? I thought you, I liked you, I thought you people like this kind of thing. I was you like, people. I was like, damn, okay. She says like, but, and then she's like, "Oh no, I, I I do and stuff, but I don't want to do it here. Meet me outside by the back around this time." Um, she's like, "It's like, well, how are you supposed to get away from Lily?" She's like, "Don't worry, I'll take care of Lily." He's like, "Oh, okay, awesome." And then he starts sneezing. And right, and then like before that, there's like a weird scene where they're like starting to fish, and then he gets her to put the worm on the hook. Yeah. And then she, he's like, "Wow, you're really good at that." And 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 um, and she's like, "Yeah, that's what everybody says." And I'm like, yeah. "What does that even mean?" Yeah, exactly. Nothing. I guess she's good at putting things on hooks. I don't. Know. I guess so. Yeah. So now they arrive. They got all the fishes ready, and they kept, they tell Riff to gut the fish because they've been working two hours, and Riff's like, "Fuck off." And then eventually, Angela goes into the tent. She's like, listen, Riff, we were out there for two hours fishing. Could you please just, just um, you know, clean these fishes and turn the music off? He eventually turns the music off, and then he pulls a gun on her. Right. Just randomly That's pulls random. a gun because he's a dangerous black kid from Detroit. Yes. Yes. And we had to establish that he has a gun now. I don't even know how the fuck he brought this gun in. Like, exactly. How, did, how does that even happen? It's just like, it just... 
Okay, just randomly decides a gun on him. We don't we don't check before we get in here. There's just a gun there. Maybe in the eighties we didn't do that. I don't I don't know. Yes. So Tony and then uh, Marcia, they are now playing the trust game. So they play the trust game, and eventually, um, uh, they they're flirting with each other about their backgrounds and everything. He asks if he's like scared of her. She's not, and then they eventually start kissing. He's like, "Can I kiss you?" So we're seeing the the romantic nice couple is this yeah. Tony and this girl over here. And the the funny part about this part was they're kissing everything. Tony's going for their shirt and everything, and our girl brings out a rubber. He's all like. That's my type of girl. <laughs> Which she carries with her at all times. That's all I call it, yes. Which we'll find out later is a little bit of a swerve. Anyway, so Lily and Angela, now they're, now Lily wants to play the trust game. No, Angela wants to play the trust game with Lily now. And uh, so this is when they're, they're you know, I, Lily didn't want to do it because she's kind of lazy. She's like, oh, I'm just lazy, but she eventually agrees to it. So they're walking through the forest, and then now, now Lily is uh, talking about um, her and Herman are going to be going to Europe pretty soon, because I guess the secret motive was to do this camp, get a bunch of money, and then fled to Europe. Was their plan? So I guess so, yeah. And then she's asked, then like Angela's asking, like, "Hey, you know, why do you bury your trash and not just have some sort of like trash company pick it up?" She's like, "Well, that's too expensive." She's like, "It's not that expensive." She's like, well, we got to cut cost everywhere. We got to cut cost out. So we're seeing that this Lily girl is like half-assing this whole trip, basically just to get get the money and save as much money yeah. as they can. That's why they didn't bring any food, no activities. That's why they want everybody to fish, and they only brought stuff for themselves. So yep. eventually, uh, Angela pulls pushes uh, Lily into the freaking um, trash. She bears her. Lily's like, the rats are gonna eat me. And then eventually, she, her head's exposed, and she's buried underneath all this trash and stuff. And then Angela goes up to her. She's all like, she's like, you know, let me out, let me out and stuff. Uh, and she's like, hey, just by the way, she's, she basically un, like takes off the, the blindfold. And she's like, hey, by the way, your husband fools around. <laughs> and then, and then uh, Lily's like, oh, I'll bring you to Europe. I'll bring you to Europe if you don't kill me. Yes, and then, then basically we get the scene where the... Uh, the lawnmower kill on her face, which I thought was pretty brutal. That was br- that was pretty gory. Yeah, so they had, they pretty had some pretty good uh, brutal killing scenes. Besides, like the only ones that weren't was like the fucking branch, the the, the tree branch of doom that they had in this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like that wasn't very well thought out. That could have been anything yeah. else besides the tree branch. But you know, whatever. So this whatever. part, this part is funny. <laughs> so at nighttime, this is Angela meets up with Bobby. Bobby. Uh, he's all like, he's like, oh, you, you're gonna tie me up? She's like, yeah, I'm gonna tie you up to this tree. He's like, oh yeah, oh, awesome. <laughs> and he's like, hey, and then he's like, hey, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you like not tell anybody about this just in case I win the election one day? <laughs> he's all like, and then she started tying him up. She's like, oh yeah, this is like one of those naughty magazines getting tied up and stuff. Wow! Yeah, this whole scene was weird and, and then he's all like, he's all, then he's unnerving. All like, yes, then he's like, he's like, is this the part where we screw? <laughs> and then she ties him up to the tree and everything. And then he looks over, and then eventually uh, Angela, when she's tying up, she like ties up himself into the into the jeep. And he looks over. He's like, "What the hell are you doing?" She's all like, 
at least we're going to have one less politician in the one, one less idiot politician in the world. And she drives off, and I guess she rips Bobby's arms off, or I guess it kills him <laughs> or something. I don't know. We didn't really see what happens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it just yeah. pulls into pieces, I suppose. Yep. So now we have Riff over here. He's looking at a naughty magazine. All right. And then Angela throws a tape to him. So apparently during all the melee of her killing people, she found a tape in the chemical room, a tape recorder, and she recorded a rap for oh, Riff. Oh, God. I forgot about this. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a rap which you can actually buy or download her rap on on, <laughs> uh, on uh, Spotify. I saw it. Uh, or you could buy the CD. It has a rap on there too. Uh, she does a rap and then she eventually starts whacking Riff and she basically nails his hand to the ground. So there goes our boy Riff. He has now been destroyed. So this is now we have Tony and we have um, uh, Marcia. Uh, Marcia. She, they are now in the morning time. They see Angela, and they're kind of wondering, like, "Hey, what are you doing over here?" And then, and then, um, Angela goes up to Herman. It's like, "Hey, you know," she, no. Angela goes up to Barney. And says, "Herman wants to switch uh, with me and Marcia. Uh, and uh, Marcia, they want to switch." And then, like, they're like, "Oh no way! What the hell? We're just getting along and everything and stuff." And <laughs> and then basically, Barney's like, "Listen, I want to go, you know, talk to him and make sure like this is like you know legit switch." And then Angela, you know, leads the way and stuff. So they're walking and everything. They're kind of wondering why. So we have Angela, we have Marcia, we have Barney. They're all wondering why they're going to do the switch. And then, and then Barney's basically going to be like talking to Herman and see what's going on. Angela falls. She pretends to hurt her knee. We go back into the place. They wrap her all up. Um, so this is when Angela's now spilling the beans on everybody. She is all like, listen... Uh, do you, how well do you know this Herman and Lily girl? She's like, Brian, he's like, I don't really know him well at all. She's like, well, Lily is lazy. She never does anything. And this Herman guy just wants to fornicate with all the counselors. <laughs> and then like, yeah, Brian's like, wow. well, how do you know about all this? She's like, I have eyes. I have <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was amazing. And she's like, you know, Byron's like, listen, you know, I, I don't think you're making it up. I got to pretty much see this stuff for myself. And then, like, you know, the Marcia's like, are you sure Lily just sits around and does nothing? She's like, yeah, you can go see for yourself. She's like, okay, can I go see her, Bernie? She's like, yeah, you go see. And then, like, wrapping up her leg. And eventually the girl goes outside to where the uh, trash is, and she sees uh, Lily dead, no head. She starts freaking out. Barney goes over there, okay? And he sees it, too. And he basically keeps telling uh, Marcia to run. So, basically... Um, that girl, the redhead girl, goes up and she hugs Angela. She's like, oh, what's going on here? And then Angela's like, I don't know why every time I come to camp, somebody loses their head. So now, wow. they, so now they realize, uh-oh, we're in trouble. All right, so then eventually the girl, she runs away. And then, you know, well, then also too, Angela's saying, hey, you remind me of this girl named Molly. Of course, you know, Molly was the girl from the second movie, which, mm-hmm. which, we don't know what happened to her. Maybe she's the one that was in the cowboy and everything. We don't know what happened to her. We yeah, su- maybe. Supposedly she's dead. Okay. So now this, you know, the Maria, she goes off. She gets she escapes because Angela has a soft side for the nice girls. She will not attack, supposedly not attack the nice girls unless they attack her. 
That's well. That's the thing is okay. So in the second movie, I get Molly ran away, but she was always the nice one. Well, we didn't get a yeah. conclusion, so I'm not even gonna try. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say I love how you try to make logic out of these uh, scripts, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is when we get the whole scene of Barney finally trying to. He now realizes, oh shit. This fucking girl, she's not Maria. This is Angela. This is the girl who murdered my son and murdered all those kids. And then he comes back in there. He's like, how many did you kill this time? And Angela's like, you know, enough. He's like, how are you going to kill me? And he goes over all the ways that Angela have killed people throughout the series. You're going <laughs> to fucking car battery acid me. You're going to fucking uh, knife me. You're going to behead me. Are you going to behead me like you did my son? And like, this guy's a cop, right? And this is like, he's like, how are you going to do it? And then she's like, well, I'm just going to use a gun. And she just fucking shoots his ass. <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. What a fucking, damn. Their revenge story was non-existent. <laughs> right. Yeah, you thought this was going to come down to some kind of like standoff between, you know, the hero Barney and uh, yeah. against Angela. And then she, he's just, she's like, I'm just going to fucking shoot you. And then he does. She does, and then that's it. And the sick line she did was, you look like your son when you're mad. Oh, that really got him going. Ooh, anyway, yes. I got it. He's like, what's it going to be? And then she shoots his ass. And I was like, that's it. And then and then I thought this scene was weird, too, because she shoots him, and then she leaves the gun by him. So I thought that she was going to leave the gun and then maybe kill the other kids and then uh, pretend it was all Barney who did it. Like maybe Barney got to this camp, this you know this this camp, and killed everybody because mm. he went crazy over grief about his son dying. But no, that didn't turn out. So I don't really get why she left the gun with him over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, your script for this would have been better than the one they made this movie with. Huh. I mean, you you can tell at this point in the movie. I mean, this whole thing is only seventy nine minutes long. You can tell at this point in the movie they just ran out of ideas. Like they didn't have yes. any more story. They just like, we just got to get these kills in and get this thing over. So eventually, you know, Angela, she jumps into the Jeep. She eventually finds the Marcia girl and she traps her and she says, we're going to have a lot of fun together. Okay. So now we have Tony. We got Greg. All right. And then we got, um, uh, they're all like sitting by there. They're wondering where, because it's nighttime right now. They're wondering where everybody's at. Angela shows up um, <clears throat> saying like, hey, you know. Uh, she's like, hey, where is everybody? Where's everybody else at? She's like, well, they're at the they're at the main camp over here, and they want all of us to come down because we have to play a trust game. This is what Barney wants us to do. Wants us to play a trust game. All right. So she ties everybody up. All right. She ties up um, uh, Tony. Uh, she ties up the Greg guy, which barely had any freaking lines at all, and she ties up that Anita girl, which she barely had any lines either. And she was going on saying like, you know, um, she's like, hey, she's like pretending like she sees Barney. Oh, there's Barney. Oh, I don't see him anymore. Oh, there's Barney. And then eventually she lowers Barney's dead body in front of them. So the whole, the whole leaving the gun out to Barney's corpse was non-existent. There's no reason for her to do that. And then she's like, okay, we're going to play a game here. They're all going to work together. We have about three cabins. The goal of this is to find the cabin that has the Marcia girl in it. And once mm. you find her in that cabin, you win the game. And I and I and basically, if you try to leave, I'll kill you. 
If you try to attack me, I'll kill you. If you don't find her, I'll kill you. Let's go. So they all go to the different cabins. They find a cabin with a couple dead bodies in it. They find another dead body with all the other dead bodies in it. Eventually, they reach the cabin with the redhead girl. And they get there, and it's, it's the cabin that has the Angela, the fuck Angela Baker sign. They go up to there. Yeah. There's a trap. Our two other characters, Greg and Anita, they get axed. So there they go. Boy, they did they did jack nothing in this movie. Nope. And then Tony is the survivor. Okay. So, um, the, the Angela comes up to him. He's like, hey, I'm glad it was you two that survived. I'm going to tell you something, Tony. I had a big crush on you and stuff, but I think you are perfect over here for, uh, um, for the, for the girl. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Marcia. Uh, Marcia. Yeah. Marcia. I think you're perfect for her. So I'm cool with you guys being together and everything. So you guys have a great life. I'll see you later. <laughs> and she's also like, you know, my mom always said too, there's plenty of fish left in the sea. Oh, and, she, and she's like, hey, by the way, there's phone lines are down over here. But if you go a little bit over there, there's a phone line working. See you later. Okay. So Chandra just goes back into the fucking um, Jeep. And this is when the fucking uh, Marcia girl just runs out. And starts to fucking attack her. And they start fighting, fighting everything. And eventually she gets the best of her about knifing her in the stomach. And then mm-hmm. Tony grabs her and says, let's get out of here and call the police. And then we see Angela. She's all like, the one time I try to be nice to something, this stuff happens. And then we think she's dead. I, I, yeah, I think that's amazing. Like, So oh. she was, if, if, if Marcia hadn't attacked her, she was just going to leave. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then the first, because, well, one time that I try to be nice to people, this is what happens. Yeah. So this part's a little funny. <laughs> so Tony and the Marcia girl are in the cop car together. Tony's all like, man, I'm so glad we survived this. You know, me and you are going to be a great couple. I'm going to move to Ohio with you. We can, we can get married and start a family, everything. It's going to be great. And Marcia's like, so I got to tell you something. I already have a boyfriend. But you can come visit. But you can come visit. And he's, I was like, that came out of nowhere. I was like, what the fuck just happened what? here? And then Tony's like, oh, yeah, 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 I could do that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I, I should have let this bitch kill you. <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened here? <laughs> then the movie is not done yet, everybody. We still have another scene. We're yeah, now we have, we, the, we have the Michael Myers scene. Yes, yes. We are now in an ambulance. The cop is like, we got to just kill this girl. She's been killing people for like fucking eight, eight years or whatever. Uh, she's killed everybody here. She's a monster. Let's just kill her. It'd be really easy. The the paramedic's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't. He's like, come on, let's just do it. Like, we'll end this right now. We're going to end this. He's like, okay, eventually he agrees. Then Angela, she gets like a plastic, like, tube. It's no, it's like, a syringe. It's a syringe. Okay, it pokes everybody yeah, so in the eye. it has eye. a metal end. Yeah. Okay, well, at least it got one metal end on it. She pokes everybody. She pokes the officer in the eye. She kills the fucking paramedic guy. The other guy in the back is like, hey, what's going on back here? And the fuck, Angela's all like, She's like, nothing, just taking care of business. End movie. Like, what the fuck? Like, what kind of ending is this? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just, like, thrown together. It's like, taking care of business, and then it's over. And now, yes. I mean, I've never seen the footage from 4, but does she escape with the ambulance and then come back in 4 again? Who? I don't know. I haven't seen it either, but who knows? She's probably yeah. just, like, fucking just, like, magically just appears at the camp again. <laughs> I guess. I mean, this wasn't terrible. No. Um, I had a lot of it fun was inter- It was entertaining. Yes. It was entertaining because of the music and the boobs. But, I mean, it was. this is definitely a step down from 
two, which I liked better than I thought I did, I would, and then definitely a step down from the first one. Yeah. This one's basically just like, you're just going there having a good time, drinking some beer, seeing some tits and blood. That's basically what the movie was about, you know? Yeah, it's 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 like one of those things where, like, I feel personally that a horror movie can be a good movie, it can be artistic, but some people just think that horror movies are just campy bullshit, and then, like, so this is just intentionally made to be campy bullshit. Yeah. But it's still, it's not bad, it's good. I would watch it again. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't pick this movie to show it to somebody if, you know. Yeah, if you're if, showing, if you're going to show like the artistic side of horror movies and the greatness of storytelling, this is probably not the show. For, this is probably not the the movie for you. But if no. you want a good time, you want a good laugh with friends, you want a good uh, drinking show to, you know, relax and get some wild party shit going on. This is probably the movie for you. I would say. Yeah, it wouldn't be bad for that at all. So everybody. That's Sleepaway Camp 3 Teenage Wasteland. Very fun movie. Uh, but come and join us here next week as we finally get away from the Sleepaway Camp uh, campsites and we enter in to a crazy campsite, 1981 campsite of The Burning. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. So we're been into The Burning campsite. I can't wait to see this one. It's going to be very fun. So join us here next week on the Retro Blood Brother as we talk all about the burning for our final month of summer camps here on the Retro Blood. But, Allison, what should we leave everybody with today? What should we uh, play the good old listeners out here today? Uh, man, let's go out with... Uh, um, how about... Uh, we, did, we played Anvil last week. Let's, let's play Obsession, uh, Methods of Madness. Methods of Madness, brother, from Obsession. This is the Teenage Wasteland... We got the tits, we got the knives, we got the branches that apparently kill people easy, we got the battery ass, we got everything. Alright, so we'll see you guys here next week on the Retro Blood. For J.A. Allison, James Klein, you guys have a good one. See ya.